This is Turn on the Jets Film Room, your weekly extensive breakdown of New York Jets X's and O's. <laughs> now, here are your hosts, Joe Blewett. Stop route in the middle, curl. I actually like to start from Dawn. Maybe I want to see him get rid of the ball a little bit sooner as he sees the soft coverage, but I like how he leads him outside. Great freaking snag. That's a snag, man. And former Texas Tech All-American, current Arena League coach, and the hero of the Monday Night Miracle, Marcus, Marcus Coleman. Coleman. That is by Coleman. You got to hand it to Marcus Coleman. He made the play earlier to pick it off in front of Gadsden, and then he read the eyes of the quarterback here. That interception is his third of the game, and that ties a Jets team mark. On Turn on the Jets Digital. And you are listening to another edition of TOJ Film Room, the 30th edition. Um, but we are not with Marcus Coleman today. We are with our good friend, Scott Mason, my good friend. Scott, what's up, man? Hey, Joe, what's going on? I got to say, I love the voice of that guy who does the intro for your show. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I was about, I was about to say, it, it probably seems a little bit similar. And I, I've always brought up some like, issues with that. One, I, now that I'm like, listening to it for like 25 times, it makes me sound like a stoner where I'm like, yeah, that's a snack, <laughs> man. And then my, like, I, I have no background music. And then you go to Marcus and it's like, dun, dun, like, he's like, throwing a movie and I'm just some guy, like some stoner guy, but hey, it is what it is. Um, yeah, but so we're going to have some fun. Um, Scott, Scott was here for the first episode. Um, now he's going to be here for the 30th episode, and we're going to get into, obviously, uh, like I said, last week, Le'Veon Bell. We're going to talk a little bit to start about just some quick like takeaways from the combine i'm not going to go through guys like one through three freaking hundred and talk about all their arm lengths and weights because people don't really care about that i'll talk about some of the top guys uh, to kick off the podcast talk about robbie anderson a little bit and then me and scott are going to talk about a lot of the kind of storylines surrounding bell um and then scott will jump off and i'll get into just strictly uh film of, of bell uh, for the second half of the show. And the next week we'll have part two um, as well. But um, yes, yeah, Scott. So just to obviously to shout out you, um, I think everybody who listens to this podcast is probably listening to you or most people who are listening to this podcast, I think are probably listening to you. Um, but he is at play like a jet one on, on uh, Twitter, which no space or anything like that. Scott does literally, um, I'm not going to say it's a daily podcast, but it almost is a daily podcast because he does, um, podcast with literally every single person. Scott, talk about something <laughs> recently. Like, I, I, you know, I listen, and you know, you have Wesley Walker, you have the guy from the Steel Curtain or whatever it was the other day talking about Le'Veon Bell. You're gonna have Nani on to talk film and all that stuff, but just uh, promote your podcast a little bit because it definitely um, is a show that's worth listening to. And yeah, actually I actually have this guy Joe Blewett on a lot to talk about <laughs> film. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are doing basically daily podcasts now. Uh, Daryl Slater from nj.com comes on once a week chris nimbly from jets insider comes on once a week we do mailbags we do news it's mm -hmm. the slow season joe you know that so until free agency starts there's not a ton on the <laughs> bone there but we kind of take what we've got and, and run yeah. with it you're coming on to do film in fact we're going to have a show breaking down Le'Veon bell sometime next week i had simon chester from uh behind the steel curtain as you mentioned we went through the entire timeline of Le'Veon bell's tenure in Pittsburgh and I thought it was really interesting to get it from somebody who was following him all the way from the beginning mm -hmm. we're gonna have a bunch more Le'Veon Bell stuff like you said Nanny is coming on as well he does a show once a week with me he comes on we call it the Chronicles of Nania which is kind of funny 
a little play on words there, but he comes on and basically does his nerdy numbers breakdowns. And then, uh, you know, the history shows where it all started. So right now we're in the middle of a series with Wesley Walker. The thing I love about Wesley, Joe, is that, you know, a lot of these players are very guarded and they're reluctant to say much. And so they give you stock answers, especially the current players. Well, Wesley doesn't care about any of that. In the series so far, he's talked very openly about a lot of different things. In fact, last week, we got into a discussion about steroids when he was playing. And he told me that the reason he didn't do steroids isn't because he was, he was morally against it. That's it. He was afraid of needles. Mm-hmm. That was the only reason he didn't do it. And the week before that, he went into detail about the racial tensions that were going on in the locker room at the time. And I was stunned to hear this, but apparently at one point, the black players and the white players weren't even riding together. And it's just Hmm. wild. I mean, we're talking about late seventies, early eighties. So yeah, it's just, we got a lot of stuff going on, rocking and rolling. And like you said, Joe, now that we're getting into free agency period, there's going to be a lot of talk about the free agents and especially Le'Veon Bell. But I hope that it's not like last year, Joe, when we broke down film, we broke down stats, we spent all this time talking about Kirk Cousins, and then he went and signed somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, you don't have to worry about any bias or racism here. We've been touting ourselves recently as one of the most underrated uh, in, interracial podcasts that somebody has reviewed. <laughs> so don't, no, there's no worry about that. Um, and anybody that knows me personally, by the way, also knows it, that uh, <laughs> I have a very interracial household as well. So between yeah. Joe and I and Marcus, we got this all covered. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 2019. Um, so, yeah, and just uh, you can follow me, too. We're talking about Le'Veon Bell. If you haven't checked out the Le'Veon Bell review yet, if you want to go through the film slower, I'm going to go through all 58 plays, probably like 20 this week and four, uh, whatever, 40 next week or whatever it may be. Um, but if you want to go check it out on my Twitter as well, it's all in a moment. So you can just swipe through it and read it for yourself and take it a little bit slower if you want. It's uh, at JoeRB31. Marcus is at PatchMC42. Um, and like I said, and as Scott knows, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into the show. So if you could just, like I said, take five minutes, write a review, leave a five-star rating, it would be greatly appreciated. And uh, Scott, you also said that it's a slow time of the season. I don't. I, I think this is the busier time of my. Of my <laughs> uh, well, you're preparing for the busy season because yeah. right now there's not a ton, so you're kind of getting the legwork ready. And that's why, as you just said, and let me throw this out there too. If you could give Joe and Marcus a review on iTunes, I said this the other day on Twitter, and I meant it. And it's not just because you and I are friends, and that I'm friends with Nanny, and that I'm friends with Marcus. The fact that you guys all do what you do makes everybody look most fan bases don't have access to the kind of information that Jets fans have because of you and Marcus and because of Michael Nania Nania on the numbers and statistics side and you and Marcus on the film side you guys do thorough breakdowns of all this stuff to a point where it could have been done by a professional scout and the same thing with Nania where he comes through and finds these numbers and he does work that's as far as I can tell, better than anything I've seen out of PFF or any of these other places. So Jets fans are spoiled by having you guys in the mix to really do all the legwork. So for anybody that hasn't subscribed to the YouTube channel, if you're watching this and you didn't subscribe yet, or if you haven't left Joe and Marcus a review over on iTunes or even left comments on YouTube to let them know that you appreciate what they're doing, I really would like to see you do that because this is not something that Joe's getting paid a bunch of money to do. He does it out of the love of the game. And we're really blessed to have his knowledge and his film breakdowns. I mean, me personally, I can tell you how much I really enjoy just our private conversations about players and prospects and schemes and systems and stuff like that. And for people to be able to, to hear this stuff 
and to see it broken down on such a high level, it's not something that most fan bases get. It's a real treat. So if you haven't reviewed the podcast or the video show yet, you really should. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that. And uh, like you said, Michael Nani, I follow him. And obviously Scott as well. Um, he's He does great jobs of interviews. It's just, it, it is ridiculous the amount of work you put in. And I know Scott appreciates my like, well, maybe maybe appreciates, sometimes not appreciates. Um, my <laughs> like 2.30 in the morning about like, oh my oh. God, you know, uh, whatever, Jawan Taylor doesn't open his hips as well as he should. Like just the little Dude, thing. I, lo- I love that because I'm always uh, up watching TV because I never sleep. You know that. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm up and um, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about Jawan Taylor's hips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's get into some of like the little topics just because I'm not going to do a whole show about, about combine takeaways because I'll be reaching and people will probably turn it off after the first 15 minutes because who really cares about the guys below the top 10, 15 to be completely honest. Um, unless you're going to get a little bit nerdy, which we will do um, in the future. But just a quick uh, combine takeaways. Um, some things, uh, like I said, a couple things. Uh, Ed Oliver being over 280 pounds, I think that's a, a pretty big deal. Now, a lot of times with these numbers, you kind of have to see about uh, how they test with these numbers as well because right. maybe Ed Oliver was playing at 265 during the season. Now, is he going to look slower at 280? That's that. There's a possibility of that. Um, but regardless, even if Ed Oliver was playing at 280, uh, which obviously you guys know I've said it for weeks now, I'm going to get into a lot of the nitty-gritty of their film. I, I still don't think he's necessarily strong enough. Um, and I get he's athletic, but I, I just don't think he's even on the level of uh, Quinton Williams, even at this weight, even with his athleticism. But I still think that's a big win for him being over 280 pounds. But like I said, it, we, we just need the testing as well. Yeah, and I saw that with Brian Burns too. I think mm-hmm. he was 249 pounds. 249, like yeah. Yeah, the question, Joe, like you said, is how are these guys going to perform at these weights? Because, look, we know that from the second that the season ends, they start trying to bulk up, especially mm-hmm. in the case of somebody like Oliver and somebody like Burns. And Burns was someone that you and I have talked about who was probably playing at about 230 to 235 when he was at Florida State. And we were saying that he was going to probably have to get up to around 250 if he was going to be a big-time player. But the problem becomes, yeah, we now see the weight on him. But A, can he keep it on him? And B, if he does, can he keep that speed that made him such an elite player at Florida State? And we don't know that. And so we'll have to see how he tests. And then obviously you're drafting him and hoping upon hope that he can keep that weight on and keep his speed. It's a little risky. I always get worried about that because I've seen so many instances of guys who were undersized and then either bulked up for the combine or just did really well at workouts and then they got drafted and then they went into the NFL and they were too small to hack it. I mean, a couple of guys that come right to my mind are Aaron Maven, who was here for a cup of coffee. If you remember, I mean, the bills drafted him, I think 11th overall or something like that, but he ended up being like 225, 230 pounds. And you're just not going to be able to be an effective outside rusher at that weight in the NFL. It's just very rare that somebody that size can do that today. And, you know, Mike Mamula is another one that I remember. I think that was back in like 95 or 96, where he lit up the combine, but he was another one who was small. They called him a tweener, and he he failed in the NFL big time. So you just got to be careful. I mean, like you said, with a guy like Burns and a guy like Oliver, elite athleticism, absolutely no question about it. Mm-hmm. But now we have to see if we can believe whether or not they can hold that weight on and whether or not that power and speed combination can sustain in the NFL. 
<clears throat> yeah, and um, with Burns, like you said, probably like 230, 235. Um, a lot of the stuff and how he made plays in the run game was a lot of technique work. But like I said, we'll get into that at a later date. Another one was uh, Ja'Kai Polite at 251. Same type of question. Um, he played a little bit light during the season as well, at least from what I saw. Um, but him being 251, that's definitely a, a big win for him if he does test as well. Because in terms of like first step explosion and speed, I think he's probably the best in the entire class. Um, so if he can keep it on at 251. Um, that's that's obviously a great thing for him. Now, there are some questions with Polite and one in the run game. He definitely needs work there. Um, and then there's also been some questions. I'm not sure if you've heard it, Scott, but some questions about him in the locker room and his dedication to the game. So that's something he's going to have to answer to. Uh, so his interviews are going to be really important. But I, I think he won it as, you know, at, at 251 as well. Yeah, for sure. And we've both talked about this, and I'm sure you're going to get into it in great detail when mm-hmm. you do these film breakdowns. And you'll come on my show, and we'll talk about it there as well. Polite and Burns are not quite on that level for me with a guy like Allen or Bosa. And part of the reason is we've already seen what Josh Allen can do at his size and with his athleticism. And it's not like we don't know what it looks like when Josh Allen is 260 or whatever it is. And same Mm -hmm. thing with Nick Bosa. With these other guys, it's a little bit – I don't think Polite's as good as Burns necessarily anyway, but – with mm-hmm. these other guys that are smaller, there's just more question marks as to whether or not they could sustain it and if they could keep that weight on. With those guys, when you take into account their physical attributes and their production, because yeah. you look at Josh Allen, who had 17 sacks his last year at Kentucky, and we all know about Nick Bosa. So that's going to be the question here. But that is what the combine is for, really, is for seeing what these guys – the fir- getting the first glimpse, I guess – at guys that are trying to pack weight on or lose weight and what they look like at, look like at these new weights that they're mm-hmm. trying to convince you they can play at in the NFL. Yeah, Juwan Taylor, I'm not sure if he played against I, – I, I, think, I don't think he played against uh, Ja'Kai Polite, but he came out and said that uh, Josh Allen was the best pass rusher he played this year just because of his, of his speed and his, and his weight. And Josh Allen came in in a little bit over 260 – but that's what he played at during the season. So right. I don't think much is going to change for him. And uh, like you said, I, I think in terms of – and trust me, my the film reviews are going to get much more in-depth than I like him, and he's not good in the run game. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Burns, I think, is definitely better in the run game, just like I said, with his technique, with his hands. Uh, Ja'Kai Polite, he has a super high ceiling as a pass rusher, but there's there's still some – there's too much time in between big plays. And in the run game, he has a lot of issues, but we'll, we'll see what happens with him. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely it's – definitely, uh, Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams on a tier of their own, then Josh Allen a, a tier below them, but still on a tier of his own um, be, before the other guys, including, you know, Juwan Taylor, Jonah Williams, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, all those guys. So uh, it's going to be fun to get into that stuff. A um, couple other things uh, just in terms of the tackles. Uh, Jonah Williams, 33, I think, I think it's 33 and one eighth inch arms. Um, but we talked about it yesterday, Scott, when we recorded the podcast for the Le'Veon Bell, which I think is going to come out on Monday or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. uh, we actually kind of had a lot of the same conversations literally yesterday, but we're having them again for my show. <laughs> but, but Jonah Williams having over 33 inch arms, I think that's, I, it's obviously a win. It's not a bad thing. And sure. people were questioning, oh, well, you know, a lot of people who watch the film say get short arms. And I'll show you exactly what I mean when I, when I do his film review and I put it up on here, why it looks like he has short arms. And I told Scott yesterday, it's a lot of because of how his upper body is and how his upper body is so upright when he comes into blocks that his arms seem shorter than he really is because he doesn't leverage his body properly when taking on blocks and long arms and things like that off the edge. Um, but that's definitely a win for him. And he came out, it seemed like with some anger and was naming a whole bunch of offensive tackles with shorter arms than he, that, that, that he had. Um, 
who were successful in the NFL. So he was pissed off a little bit. He said that some people were asking them to play center. Um, and something I'm going to come out with, and I'll show you why too, is uh, I don't necessarily believe he's a he's a lock at it as an all-pro, pro ball to a guard that everybody's saying he is because of some issues in the run game. I would rather right. play him at tackle, take that chance at him at tackle. But uh, it definitely went for him at 33-plus in charms. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think the big issue with Jonah Williams is just his technique is really, really good. But like you said, in the run game, he's kind of lacking, and you're going to mm-hmm. get into that much more depth when you do your film review, and you'll be able to break it down a hell of a lot better than I ever could. And I think the other thing is that I just don't see the type of elite athleticism out of him that you're going to need to be that superstar offensive lineman. For me, I think he's the type of guy that could have a nice career in the NFL, and I think that he could be a good offensive lineman but I don't think he's going to be a great offensive lineman Mm -hmm. necessarily. And that's not where I would go with the number three pick. If they trade down, maybe, but like you said, man, I'm not entirely convinced that he's the best offensive lineman in this draft. Anyway, I think you could make a case that Juwan Taylor, and you brought this up to me the other day, if he has the right offensive line coaching, he has a higher ceiling and could potentially be a better player than Jonah Williams. And I think Ford is a really good lineman. I mean, look at what Bradbury did at the combine. I don't like to put a ton of stock, but it's interesting what he did. So there are, there are some pretty good offensive linemen. I don't know that any of them are a lock to be an all pro or even a pro bowler. So that's why for me, I would be focusing heavily on the offensive line and free agency. If there's options, like if Sappho mm-hmm. breaks free, yeah. if they can get Matt paradise, and then, you know, go into the third round and get who you can get. But the strength of this draft is very clearly on the defensive side of the ball. And there are some seriously excellent players, especially, like we said, in the top three. So stay at three, get one of those guys, fill the offensive line, free agency, and in the mid-rounds. And I wouldn't be – there are people – Joe Caparoso, God love him, says, if you like Jonah Williams, why wouldn't you take him at three? If you're comfortable taking him at ten, why would you take him at three? Well, I'm not entirely sure, Joe, that I would be comfortable taking him at mm-hmm. 10. But even if I was, why would you take him at 10 when you could get a much, much, much better player at 3? I just don't you're, understand the logic. You're talking the difference between elite prospects and right. just solid prospects. If anything, trade down and get one of those guys. Because I don't think there's as much of a difference between guys like Jonah Williams and Juwan Taylor and Cody Ford and Risner as there is between guys like Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, and the rest of the pack. So you get elite players, and a lot of people talk about picks like they're they're Madden, and you can just like I don't know how Madden draft work, but um, <laughs> maybe like you just draft guys in the second round who are always going to be good, or you increase their stats. Look at who make, look look at who is making the pick. So would you rather have an elite prospect, a guy who I'm pretty sure is going to be an elite prospect, and all top of those or all uh, three of those top guys? Or do you want McCagden to, to fall back in the first round, pick a guy who might be pretty good, could be an all-pro, but it also has a bigger chance of being a bust, and then a bunch of second and third round picks, which McCagden has shown a clear ability um, to make you know make those picks very, very well, obviously, Scott. So uh, definitely give him a load <laughs> of picks in those rounds because he, he, yes. never, he never misses. Um, <laughs> he, so, he has such a track record of hitting on mid-round picks. Yeah. It's amazing. Just get, a, get, get all those mid-round picks instead of guy, taking a guy like Quinn and Williams because the, the Jets drafted – Quinn and Copels in 2012. Um, <laughs> so the other tackle, Jawan Taylor, the guy who I, I I told you, and I'll tell everybody here, I think he has a higher ceiling than than uh than um wow uh, Jonah Williams just blanked out on his name really quickly. Um, but just in terms of his body, uh, what he came in looking like at the combine, 6'5", 312, uh, which is super impressive. They say he's like ripped up at that weight too. Uh, super good length. 
Um, if he fixes some minor technique things that I'll get into at a later date, he could definitely be a very, very good tackle. So he came in, he had a, he had a good day. Like I said, looking as ripped up as he did. And then the only other thing we'll talk about um, from the combine is DK Metcalf. Yeah, I was just going to say. Body fat. Listen, and I looked into it more because I heard that. And I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure like below four, you start to like die like literally yeah. die and there's no way you could sustain the energy because your body burns fat when you're when you're when you're running around like that you you would you would pass out like the first snap you took of a game uh, anywhere below like 5 you're you're basically mm-hmm. like dying so could he have been 5 or 6 7 maybe yes but 1.6 is impossible so don't so don't bind to that cuz that's a bunch of crap because I, I think, and I don't want to like use this, but like people who are like starving on the streets in New York who haven't eaten in like a year are more than 1.6% body fat. It just doesn't happen. Right. It's even bodybuilders. I was reading about this. Generally, they don't go below five, maybe to about four at most. And that's only when they're training for competition. And, and they're not an endurance athlete. Right, right. Exactly. And so, yeah, they're show ponies. And so once the competition's over, they get away from that anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that if you're an elite athlete, if you're like an Olympic athlete or whatever, you could be somewhere in the five to eight range, and that's where you ultimately want to be. But if you're – look, first of all, 1.6, that can't be right. <laughs> and even if it was some sort of miracle, there's just – like you said, you can't possibly maintain that and have the kind of energy and the strength that you need to play a game like football. Mm-hmm. I will say, as I've said many times – I'm always leery of these guys that people start talking about with their shirts off, like, oh, my God, look at this guy. He's so jacked. Because as Mike Golick likes to say, you can't bench press somebody off of you on the football field or whatever. It's all about football strength and football speed and football technique. And so I want to look at the tape. I don't really care how many times a guy did a bench press or, or what a guy looks like with his shirt off. We saw this, Joe, with Vernon Golston everybody talking about how he looked like the Incredible Hulk and what did that get people? So people focusing on this body fat percentage thing or how ripped the guy looks with his shirt off, I just don't understand why anybody would focus on that. I mean, I guess it's funny to talk about on social media, but besides that, I don't really care what a guy's body fat percentage is. I mean, listen, I know you're not really into mixed martial arts, but Fedor Emelianenko, who is arguably the greatest heavyweight MMA fighter of all time, had something on the lines of 11 to 12% body fat, which for a regular person is pretty good. For uh, an MMA guy, that's very high, and he kicked everybody's ass. So <laughs> it's really just about how you perform. And if you have, you know, look, like I said, there's football strength, there's football speed, there's football technique. Don't get carried away with mm-hmm. stuff like what a guy's body fat percentage is. And with Metcalf, if it's anything close to what, they reported it as like, even if it's three, 4%, he needs to fatten would, up. Yeah. He needs to fatten up. And quite frankly, that would be a red flag to me. I'd be mm-hmm. a worried. And also Jim Colburn pointed this out and I am not going to, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but it's impossible not to think when you see a guy with that little body fat and that ripped up, you know where I'm going with this, that there could be some other things in play. So too much milk. Yeah, right. Exactly. Too much milk, too much calcium. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, and, and you talk about like those show ponies, like those those bodybuilder guys. Like, yeah, I I guess like a lot. Actually, a lot of girls don't even like that. To be completely honest, right, um, right. but you look yoked up, but you ask them to run around the block, and they're gassed out after no. three seconds. So it's like, right. dude, what is the point of that muscle? You can't you can't maintain it. It's just 
It's just yeah. Not. I mean, I, I don't want to go on an anti bodybuilder rant, but I've said for many <laughs> years suck. that yeah, I really don't understand bodybuilders whatsoever. I don't understand the fascination, mm-hmm. and I don't like to me. I've said this many times: guys that are power lifters, guys that are football players, guys that are soccer players, baseball players, sprinters, marathon runners. That's taking your physical fitness and using it, or even, you know, in the case of a power lifter, these guys don't look jacked or anything, but they're strong and they're like insanely mm-hmm. great athletes. Those are the type of guys that I look at and I admire for what they're able to do with their bodies in one way or another. One of these show ponies, like you said, who looks like they could be on the cover of muscle and fitness, but like, you know, or can't you wipe their them, own ass. Right. Exactly. He asked them to lift their hand above their head and they <laughs> can't do it. I don't see the purpose of it. So yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Metcalf. If he's going to be more of that show pony or if at the NFL level he can be a real difference maker. Yeah. But I wouldn't be influenced what at at all by what his body no. looks like or how low his body fat percentage is. No, and I think I have to get more into his film because I haven't – he's actually next up. I'm watching Jawan Taylor right now. I'm going to finish up a couple of games. I'm doing like Metcalf and I'm doing Nikhil Harry and those like type of receivers, but I want to see more of his film. Um, from what I saw, like people say he's a great route runner. From the little bit I saw, I didn't think he's a great route runner, but just the body, body weight, the size, and the speed that he's supposed to have, like four four type speed. Um, you're looking at guys like Demarius Thomas, Calvin Johnson type body frames and speed. I'm not talking about skill or anything like that. Right. Um, I'm just saying body frame. So if you can, uh, he, there's no way he's 1.6. That that's just a, it's a flat out lie. He wouldn't even be alive um but <laughs> let's get into really quickly robbie anderson before we get into levy on bell on some of those topics uh just because i want to cover our basis i'm not gonna do a whole show about robbie anderson but second round tender 3.1 million dollars uh what are your thoughts on that scott i think it's the right move because i think if they put a first round tender on him, i think it's probably money that they didn't need to spend i think a second round tender is good because it helps set the market so I don't know that any team is willing to give up a second-round pick for Robbie Anderson. But if they are, and they're willing to pay him a huge contract that the Jets don't want to match, mm-hmm. it's not really that big of a deal to me. I think if the Jets could get a second-round pick for Anderson, I can live with that. That's fine. It, my preference would be to keep him just because yeah. he, he's comfortable in that offense with Darnold. The last four games, they really started to cook. And, but but at the same time, I'm also not going to pretend that Robbie is something other than what he actually is. There are people that are talking about him. I saw someone on Twitter trying to say that, oh, the teams would easily give up first round a pick for him. And that's insane. No team is giving up a first round pick for Robbie Anderson. Uh, so I think that the mm-hmm. second round tender is the only, I guess you could you could make the case that if you wanted to definitively make sure that no team goes near him. You put the first round tender, but I think maybe what Mac was doing here is saying, look, I'd be willing to accept the second rounder under the right circumstances. So let's see, let's test the waters and see if somebody's willing to go that far. I suspect nobody will. And I think that what will end up happening is Anderson comes back on a one year deal <coughs> and then they'll probably try to work out something kind of the way that Quincy and Unwa did this past year toward the end of the season, you'll see negotiations as long as Anderson stays healthy and he doesn't cause problems in any way. I think that's what you're looking at, but I'm fine with the second round tender because if, if some team offered him a huge contract and was willing mm-hmm. to give up a second round pick, I'm okay with that too. So I, I think that's, that's what Mac was doing. He's testing 
the marketplace and seeing what the value is. Yeah, and I think uh, Rob Anderson too. Something I also have to take into consideration with him is his off the field problems as well, um, in terms of big contracts and things like that. So, uh, I, second round is like three point one. I think a first round would be like four point three. Um, but like you said, listen, if a team's gonna give up a second round pick, would I trade up Rob? Like, if Rob Anderson was on a four or five year contract right now, would I trade him for a second round pick? No, I wouldn't. To be completely honest, because what do second round picks turn into a lot for the for the Jets? Marcus May. If you really had to choose right now. I'm um, just based on skill. Would you rather have Robbie Anderson uh, on the team or Marcus May? I'll probably have Robbie Anderson to be completely honest. I think Marcus May was a little bit overrated his first year, um, and you need talent around Donald to so just give him away for another shot in the bucket with second round picks who, uh, for the Jets in recent years, haven't haven't really worked out. Stephen Hill, Vlad Dukas, Christian Hackenberg, Devin Smith. I can go on um, to give up a, a talent like Robbie Anderson, who I think with a good quarterback and a good offense could could be right around a thousand yard receiver every single year. Sure. And get probably ten touchdowns a year, and and eight of those ten touchdowns could be forty plus yards because he's that type of receiver. Um, I don't think you just give that away for a second round pick. To be completely honest, um, but they have to take into consideration as well. Are you taking into consideration as well that Jets can match any contract that people are offering? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they just offer him okay five million. I'll give you a second round pick, and he's just gone. They have a chance to match him. And but but the thing with that too, the thing with that as well is the Jets are probably at a point right now where they're not negotiating with Robbie necessarily, but negotiating like in-house like what they're willing to give him. If they're willing to give sure. him $9 million a year and a team is going to come in and give him $12, $13 million a year, which they're not going to be willing to pay him next year anyway, get rid of him a year early, get a second round pick. That's, that's the most likely they're thinking. Um, so yeah, they're going to see what people are going to offer if they're going to offer a second round pick. But I think the Jets would be smart to match. I would say I, I, Robbie Anderson is most likely going to get anywhere from like nine to $10 million a year, right in, right in that range. Um, people say, Oh, that's crazy. But the if they're, if, Every, every year, if you consider, the, the cap is going up and up and up and up. And teams with a lot of money um, are, go, are, willing, are going to be willing to offer him that money. Like, even just imagine Robbie Anderson on the team who has the most cap money right now in, in the Colts and what he could do with T.Y. Hilton and, and Luck. You don't think they would want him? So, like, you know, he definitely is a, a asset. I hear people talking about him. Like, oh, well, he'll get $6, $7 million, <clears throat> six, $7 million a year. No, he won't. He's going to get a lot more than that. So, um, <clears throat> yep. I think it's smart um, to, to, to get him back. I think you, you want to see how a year works out with him and Darnold again, if they can capitalize or continue to grow on those last three, four games, which I believe they will, uh, see if he keeps his head of his ass in terms of getting in trouble with the cops and doing all the stuff he's doing with weed or whatever it is, um, and then re-sign him to a long-term deal, most likely with some clauses, whatever it may be. Um, but any um, other, anything else to add to that or to the combine that you want to get into really quickly before we get into some, uh, some Bell stuff? No, I just saw the Jets were interviewing a bunch of guys, including Taylor and Jonah Williams, and I think that's good. You know, interview as many guys as you can while you're there. That's the whole point of it. And as far as Robbie Anderson, I think we both more or less are on the same page. I think you might have, it sounds like, tendered him in a first-round pick just to be safe because I think you really don't want to lose him. I don't want to lose him either, but I'm also not – I wouldn't – let's put it this way. I wouldn't be that Mm -hmm. sad if they ended up with a second-round pick. I think if if <laughs> I hate to keep beating this drum, but if they had a general manager I trusted with the pick, but, I'd probably <clears throat> yeah, I'd be a lot more excited about it. But yeah. I, I think what you said is true. They're probably gauging value, and if and they have the right to match any contract. So unless somebody blows them away, I would expect that even if he gets an offer, the Jets will probably match it anyway. So yeah, I mean, look, I think Robbie also is a guy who brings a certain skill set to the table, and Adam Gase, look. I like what Adam Gase said. He said he thinks Robbie is more than a one-trick pony and that he can do a lot of stuff, and he feels that he has the perfect way to get it out of him. So let's see Gase do that. 
Uh, yeah. You know, look, Joe, the one thing that you've said over and over again, and I've agreed with you, even though we disagree on Gase in general, in the sense that I still think yeah. it was a mistake and don't think he's going to be a good head coach. What we did agree on is that he's, his X's and O's are strong. There's nothing wrong with his X's and O's. And as far as scheming guys open, I think that he can do some good things for somebody like Robbie Anderson. So, uh, you know, if he stays, and I think that he will, I'm excited to see what Gase will do. And if not, maybe they can replace him with, yeah. uh, with somebody like Bradbury in the second round. Yeah, I just think that realistically, when you look at the draft, I think if, if you just took uh, Robbie Anderson's name out of it and you replaced him with another Robbie Anderson-level talent in the second round, you'd be pretty freaking happy. So mm-hmm. I'm saying like if we got <clears throat> another Robbie Anderson player in the second round, you, you're, you're really happy about it. So why not just keep the guy you have now who has that relationship with Donald? And if Robbie Anderson hit the market right now, he's easily the best receiver in, in free agency, I, I would say. There's no guy I'm taking over him in free agency if I had to replace – whatever Tate or Humphreys or any of these guys with Robbie Anderson, there's no chance I'm doing it. There's not a chance in hell to be completely honest. It's not even close to me. Um, so just keep him on your team. Uh, that second round pick most likely won't turn into him. And nobody in free agency you're going to sign is more valuable to this team than Robbie Anderson. There's nobody on this team or in free agency who could do what he can do. You talk about Tyrell Williams, but I still don't think Tyrell Williams is a Robbie Anderson level t- uh, talent. So um, I, I think I, I hope he's on the team. And the reason being is just for the thing we talked about yesterday. Donald needs all the weapons he can get. So let's not get rid mm-hmm. of another weapon for a shot in the bucket with a second round pick, which in the NFL has what pro- I'm going to say, I'm going to guess probably like a 40% hit rate in terms of like a starter in the second round. That's just a starter. Robbie Anderson. Um, is more than just a starter. Now, is he a, is he a true X number one guy who's in a um, blow up defense? No, not necessarily. But that speed is something that you can't ignore. And he can also he also has a good uh, you know, good catching ability over his shoulder as well. So, um, I hate to throw this out there, Joe, but there have been people on social media that have been saying it. So I'll throw it out there. What <laughs> if the Jets? Let's say somebody comes in, offers Robbie a big deal. The Jets don't match. They get the second rounder. Then they turn around and flip that second rounder to the Steelers for Antonio Brown. Well, see, okay. Oh, God. So we're going to get into the Antonio Brown thing a little bit, I guess. My thing with Antonio Brown is, and I know the Steelers are going to pay him a large sum of the contract that they they have him on right now. So the the Jets will only be on the hook for, like, I honestly don't even know the number. I think it's, like, maybe $10, $11 million. I really don't even know. Um, I'm just being transparent. But uh, the the thing with Brown that really worries me is he's already had problems with Big Ben and not getting the ball. It, you have right. Sam Arnold uh, throwing him the ball, and he's going to be the leader in the locker room. And if he starts complaining about not getting the ball, then you're pressuring Darnold to throw it to him. Uh, I, I think that's a tricky situation with where, where he's going right now. So uh, do I, would I love Antonio Brown for a second? I, I say I would probably do it, but I, I, with extreme caution. Like I'm not, I would not be ecstatic about it just because of who he is as a guy. And then you're yeah. not going to spread the ball as much around. And I don't think, like, from what I saw from Gase's offense, it's not really like, I understand, yeah, you can plug in Antonio Brown and, and you can you get to work around him, but it's not like predicated like, okay, we need one big, one uh, number one wide receiver. He does a lot of three receiver sets, where it's a lot of routes intertwined where you don't really need that one guy isolation route like you do with the Packers. Um, but that's kind of like my baseline thoughts. Like, listen, yeah. people say the same thing about Le'Veon Bell. If Le'Veon Bell doesn't get carries, that's more of Gase's problem. It's not Donald's problem. I want to I want to coddle Sam Donald like a baby. So <laughs> you're talking about uh, Le'Veon Bell as a leader in the locker room getting pissed off at Donald. That's something I don't love. So I would be a lot more nervous with Brown than I would be with Le'Veon Bell. hundred percent. Because Le'Veon Bell, you didn't really hear rumors about him being a bad teammate or people getting frustrated with him in the locker room until he didn't show up. Then yeah. you started to hear stuff about it. With Brown, there's been all kinds of stuff festering. Now, don't get me wrong. 
clearly this goes deeper than Brown because of the whole Ben Roethlisberger thing. And I've been hearing this for a while that Ben Roethlisberger was basically the de facto general manager there, that he calls all the shots and that everybody's afraid to go against him because of who he is. And so Antonio Brown's kind of bringing it out in the forefront. Now we're starting to hear about it publicly. So it's not all on Antonio Brown, but the stories you hear about Brown and what a pain in the butt he can be. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of warning signs there. You'd have to give up draft capital for him. And one thing, Joe, you mentioned the contract. He wants guaranteed money. So whoever he gets traded to, you better believe that he is going to want a new contract with more guaranteed money in it, which look in a vacuum, fine. But you have a guy like that, and it's a volatile situation to begin with. And now you have to tear up a contract and give him $100 million with whatever it is, $60 million guaranteed. And he's 31, 32. What is it, at 30? I forget exactly his age, but he's older. Right. Now, if he was A.J. Green as far as attitude, demeanor, mm-hmm. all that stuff, and, you know, because A.J. Green is a spotless record. Yeah. You go back to, I guess, Georgia where he had that problem where he got in trouble, but that was really a nothing I think it was somebody gave him free clothes or something like that, which was one of those dumb incidents. And he's like 20 years old. Right, right, right. Exactly. And he's been a perfect citizen. And I'm not saying everybody has to be – because Le'Veon Bell is outspoken. Mm -hmm. But you didn't hear the same issues with Le'Veon Bell that you hear with Brown. And he's older, and it would definitely make me nervous. Would I consider it? Sure. But I would really have to sit down and analyze this carefully. I think it's a different case with Le'Veon Bell because you're thinking you're, you're considering only money and he's mm-hmm. not a guy that you've heard these things about, but with Brown, I'll be honest, I'd be, especially talking to people in and around Pittsburgh, I would be a hell of a lot more nervous trading for Antonio Brown than I would signing Le'Veon Bell. Well, people are talking about Antonio Brown. Like people are willing to trade a first round pick for Antonio Brown. There's no freaking way. And I said on Twitter no, when no. we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, whoever mentioned me or I, maybe I saw it, I don't know. But I said the most I'm willing to give up with the Jets have right now is a third round pick. That's, that's all I'm giving right. up because of all the problems you're talking about. And Le'Veon Bell, people say, oh, well, he had locker room problems. And just like you pointed out, Scott, um, his locker room problems came from him not showing up. It wasn't from his attitude in the locker room. Uh, right. From what I've heard from Le'Veon Bell, he, he puts his head down and he, and he works hard. Uh, yeah. Now, the contract situation, that's between him and Steelers Brass. Um, but he's not freaking Antonio Brown saying, you know, if your team has guaranteed money, you know, call me and dying his mustache blonde. There's weird crap that he does. Mr. Big Chest. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Big Chest. Like, he just he's, – he's, he's out there. And for him to be – a probably the number one player in the Jets locker room, him and Jamal or him on offense, Jamal Adams on defense or him or, you know, him and Donald. Um, that worries me because he's going to direct the locker room a little bit. And uh, having that basically like just crazy asshole in the locker room worries me to be, to be, uh, to be completely honest. So, Oh yeah. And we've seen a similar thing with Terrell Owens where the first like year it's mm-hmm. a honeymoon and mm-hmm. Oh my God, this is great. It's a different Terrell. Or even like Brandon, or maybe Brandon Marshall a little bit. Yes. Too. Brandon Marshall, absolutely. And I think that he wasn't as bad here as far – I mean, because he got into problems with Sheldon Richardson, but let's be honest, Sheldon kind of has a reputation, so it's not really that surprising. But still, yeah, that's what always would happen with Brandon Marshall. You'd get the – he has a great year, and then you get the, oh, he's finally found a quarterback he loves. And then the next thing you know, I mean, we saw it over and over again. Look at what happened in Philly with Donovan McNabb, then again in Dallas with Tony Romo, the whole that's my quarterback thing. And then the next year he's talking about how Romo stinks and he's not mm-hmm. getting the ball. And him and Jason Witten are having secret meetings to keep the ball away from him or whatever it was that <laughs> he was thinking. And I'm not saying Antonio Brown is necessarily going to be like that, but we've seen enough warning signs where it's popping into your head now 
if you trade assets for this guy, could this blow up in your face? So it's not as much of a slam dunk to me as signing somebody like Le'Veon Bell is. It's not even close to, to me. And I, and I think at his position, Bell is better than, than Brown because Brown, I would say he's probably around like fourth or fifth, fifth best right now, or maybe, maybe third. Um, but I'm definitely putting Hopkins and Odell Beckham as my number one and two, just in terms of what they can do. Probably Julio or Brown are fighting for that third spot. Um, I think Michael Thomas hype is a little bit unwarranted to be completely honest. People talk about him being like the number one or two. I think that's, I think it's ludicrous to be completely honest. Um, I think he's in the top six. I think the top six are probably uh, in whatever order you want to put them. Hopkins, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, uh, who Odell. Was like just, uh, Michael Thomas and Odell. Yeah, those those are probably your top six. Right? Yeah, Hopkins is is he's my clear cut number one. Him and Odell, I just think on on you see them lined up in, in single coverage, and you're it's just you're you're done. Um, and and listen, uh, like I said, Brown is probably three for me at at, at this point right now, and he's still a great receiver. But he's going to be on the de- it, it, it's inevitable. He's on the he's going to be on the downcline. Uh, Scott, he's thirty or thirty one. Bell is twenty six. There's that's a big right. difference in in football years. Um, and I know Bell has, you know, a lot of a lot of miles on him, but still. Um, but let's let's get into into Bell now because we've already been on for like forty five minutes. We haven't <laughs> on Bell, so this is gonna be a long show if I want to get into any film. And then next week I'm gonna have to put even more film into it. But uh, your baseline views, we're gonna get. I have a bunch of like little side topics or topics that are kind of involved with Bell, kind of just like we talked about yesterday. But what are your baseline views of, of him getting uh, signed? I am of the opinion that running back is generally a relatively low impact position now Mm -hmm. as we've talked about quinn and williams and you and i have been at the front that you me and i think um also chris walker my buddy and um clayton smarslock who writes for toj we've all been the four horsemen of the quinn and williams train right we've been up at the front of the train you know ringing that bell and so a lot of people will say oh defensive line is a low impact position well Sometimes it is, but if you have a guy that can get to the quarterback Mm -hmm. and a guy that can stuff the run and a guy that can blow up plays all over the field, well, that's not low impact. And that's kind of the way I look at it with Le'Veon Bell. I think that because of all the things that he can do, not just as a runner, but as a receiver and as a blocker, and I think that not only do you consider what he can do on the field, but you also have to consider the Jets situation and you have to consider their other areas that they could use to add elite talent. And there aren't Mm -hmm. any because quite frankly, this draft does not really have any elite offensive playmakers from what I can tell. Mm -hmm. And there's no other elite offensive playmakers in free agency. The only other elite offensive playmaker you might be able to get your hands on is Antonio Brown. And we just talked about how Mm -hmm. there are issues there and you would have to give up draft picks. Bell is a guy that the Jets have $100 million. They have a gaping need at running back and receiver. He could fill both of those needs in one shot. On top of that, Darnold needs all the help he can get. He needs security blankets. And I talked to you about this yesterday on the show that we're going to drop on Monday, talking about the film, and I'm sure you're going to get into this more. But for me, <laughs> no, other th- no film. <laughs> <laughs> no film. For, yeah, they're, they're, no. We're, we're cutting this off. No film on the film room show. <laughs> But I think the thing for me, too, that sticks out is, and and I thought this was interesting, too, because somebody had said, well, what if the Jets trade down and they get somebody like uh, TJ Hawkinson? I think that's interesting because if you say, let's say you had Hawkinson and Herndon and you're going Mm -hmm. two tight end sets, and then you had Bell. Well, now you have three 
huge matchup problems for opposing defenses. And it could be one of those deals where sometimes you stay out of the curve, right? Because that's what New England did when they had Gronkowski and the convicted murderer, Aaron Hernandez, right? You had two super tight ends that were pretty much impossible for any safety or linebacker to guard one-on-one. Now, I'm not saying that you necessarily draft Hawkinson, but I'm just saying that you have to think outside the box when you you can't necessarily get a stud wide receiver in the draft or free agency, Mm -hmm. you look for other ways to make an impact in the passing game and with the offense. So if you have bell, he creates all kinds of mismatches. If you have Christopher Herndon, he creates all kinds of mismatches. And now you have two guys in Herndon and bell that are security blankets for Darnold. Michael Nanny had incredible numbers on the show this past week about Herndon talking about what Darnold's quarterback rating was when targeting Herndon. It's Mm -hmm. off the charts. It's astronomical. And I think it could be similar if he's targeting Le'Veon Bell either on screens or as a straight-up wide receiver. So if you have those two guys creating mismatches on the offensive side of the ball and you have linebackers and safeties that simply can't cover these guys, that makes up for a lot of the fact that you don't have a stud number one wide receiver or whatever that is. And it opens up so many opportunities for Quincy Inunua, who, as we know, is a yak machine when he's healthy. And Robbie Anderson, who is a guy that is not a yak machine by any stretch, but who can get open once he gets a step or two. Once he gets a step on a guy, he's gone. So that the only way to defend Robbie is to keep him. Like once he gets you. even, if he's within a step or even even, he's he's pretty much he's pretty much leaving. That's... Oh yeah, hundred percent. So the only way you saw the way to defend him, Stephon Gilmore showed it. You use your strength and you keep him in front of you, and you don't let him get anywhere near even, you, like you said, even even keel with you. You press so, you press the crap out of him. You don't open your yeah. hips. Yep, exactly. That's how you defend Robbie. And to be fair, not everybody can do that. Not everybody is Stephon Gilmore, so not every mm-hmm. every corner is going to be able to do that. But there is a defense for Robbie if you have the right kind of guy. But I'm saying if you now give Robbie and Quincy one-on-ones or if you give them opportunities to get open where they otherwise might not have, and you now have two security blankets in Bell and Chris Herndon, you're really starting to build something on offense. And like I've, I've said many times with Michael Nania, you add another receiver, somebody like, say, Jamison Crowder, who's not as big of a name, but who's really good in the slot and who last year, and as you know, Joe, you pointed this out, it's important in a Gase offense to get yards after the catch. And last year, Crowder really took a lot of steps before getting hurt, mm-hmm. took a lot of steps in that area. He improved greatly in the, in the realm of yards after the catch. So I think if you added, say, somebody like that and you add Bell, now you could really have something. You build the offensive line a little bit, and the offense starts to look a hell of a lot better. So I think between that and the fact yeah. that, as we've said, Joe, you have $100 million, and the, the choice isn't, binary like you don't the, the choice isn't you either sign Le'Veon Bell or you sign Demarcus Lawrence if that was the choice I'd say go sign Demarcus Lawrence but the thing is guy DeMar- guys like Demarcus Lawrence are not going to be available so the choice no comes way. down to sign Le'Veon Bell or sign say Isaiah Crowell and Spencer Long like they did last year Terrell right? Pryor Terrell Pryor right so that money is either going to a stud like Bell or it's going to or even a better illustration, Joe. Let's say they don't get Bell. Let's say they get Tevin Coleman. Well, now, okay, you're going to pay Coleman, let's say. Let's say Bell gets 15. You've you got to figure Coleman's going to get, what, between 8 and $10 million? Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying, yep. So if he gets that and then you sign maybe an average offensive lineman or an average wide receiver. Dante Moncrief. Yeah, Dante Moncrief. You'd rather have Dante Moncrief and – Tevin Coleman and Le'Veon Bell, that's nuts because 
I think Bell, you could make a case, is better than both of them at running and receiving. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, okay, Scott, that's all we need from you. You can uh, log off. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. So, um, yeah, and I think like the main point of that, and Hawkinson at 15, listen, like the only, my only thing with that is Gase showed a his, his offense really was heavy on 10 and 11 personnel. So trying to fit, you know, 12 personnel, 22 personnel more in his offense, could he do that? Sure. Maybe. But I think your overall point is, and we'll get into like Bell and his elite talent, but is adding weapons for Darnold. That's really right. all it is. And Whether, creating mismatches too. That's yeah, well, thing. yeah, creating mismatches. But even but even if you didn't get a Hawkinson, you just added, you know, a, a golden yeah. seat, and then you add him with Bell. And Bell, listen, you talk about yeah, the Yeah, Joe, just to, just to jump in real quick, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I didn't say Hawkinson is a way of like, oh, they have to get Hawkinson. I'm no. just throwing it out there. As an idea, because I'm I'm saying like if you have Bell and you have Herndon, that creates mismatches. And then yeah, I was just coming yeah. up with other ideas, like because basically what I'm trying to say is the idea is staying ahead of the curve and finding ways to play your offense to your advantage and against your opponents. So I'm not even saying you have to get Hawkinson. Just to clarify, I'm just saying that there are different ways that Gase could mm-hmm. create mismatches, and having Bell is a huge way to do that well yeah having a guy who's top three at his position and i talked about with you yesterday i i think the top three running backs um in the league from from what i've seen on a film are it's zeke barkley and bell um and elijah mcguire at a close fourth yeah yeah elijah (laughs) mcguire uh but yeah so you add an elite playmaker to your offense even if you didn't add anything else how much how much of a difference would bell make just last year even with a crappy offensive line as compared to a guy like crowell mcguire or trenton cannon like he would open up the offense um, a ridiculous amount more, um, and then you, if you add Bell, you get even just one of the offensive linemen you want, and it's not it's not Paradis who's the top one. You get a Saffold or whoever or, or Morse, and you add them to what was you know a Spencer Long or a James Carpenter last year, who were both abysmal. You're automatically upgrading you know twenty percent of your your offensive lines uh, substantially. So you add that with Bell, and you sign a guy like an Adam Humphreys, Golden Tate or Jamison Crowder, and that's like the low end of free agency. You know, uh, obviously with Bell, that's a great signing. But then then not even doing much past that, just adding another guy or two uh, would help out Donald so much more than people can can, can imagine. Like I said, uh, just <laughs> the difference between him having to throw, you know, third and 10 and fourth and 10 uh, – 10 plus yards more than anybody in the NFL as compared to throwing third and fives and second threes um, would, would open up this offense more than people can imagine. But um, something else we want to get into a little bit, and I'm sure we'll get back to that topic and just talk about his skill and stuff like that. Um, what do you think, what do you think about Bell and his injuries and the miles that he's put on his tires? You know, uh, he has a, almost 1,130 rushes, uh, 312 receptions in his career. Um, and I know he's had some injuries, but as you talk to the guy from behind the steel curtain yesterday, it's not like he's had like some specific injury, like an like an ACL or a hamstring that's been con- continuously nagging him. It's a lot of just random freak injuries. Um, so it's not as big of a deal. Like I said, if he tore his Achilles or Liz Frank and a hamstring, and they kept bothering him. It's a bunch of just random things that haven't really flared up again. Um, and something else that you have to take consideration with the Jets, the Jets medical staff, and it's something that I'm not. I don't like say lately. I'm not just saying it to say it, but. They have shown in years past that they actually are really good medical staff, whether it be guys like Laurent Landry or Morris Claiborne or uh, Kelvin Beecham even, or even Henry Anderson. They show that they have an ability to keep guys healthy. For the most part, there's some freak injuries. Um, but 
Uh, they they done a good job with that. And I think also a year off for Bell definitely helps out his his body because like I said to you yesterday, uh, people, and even in high school, when I played in high school, there's not one game of the season you're not playing with an injury. It's just you're always playing with an injury. Something always hurts. You're colliding at, you know, 15 well, high school guys. It's not like 20 miles per hour. It's more like 15, but still you're rocking each other multiple times a game. So you're always hurt. And having a full year off from that, I think is really going to help his body out as well. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the injuries – are concerning to an extent, but like you said, it's not like it's a repeated pattern. Like it's the same thing over and over again. And that you're looking at him and saying, okay, this part of his body is weak and it could rupture at any second. It's definitely worth monitoring because he did finish the season due to injuries like three or four times in his career, but it's more freak accidents than anything else. I mean, one of them was a dirty play by Vontez Burfecht that led to an injury, which imagine that a dirty Whoa. play from Vontez Burfecht, right? Where the d- dirtiest player in the NFL. Oh, by far. I mean, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's a division rival, you know that that's going to be the case. But I think that it's concerning to an extent, uh, but you let the medical staff look at him. And yeah, there is a lot of mileage on him. No question about it. But I think that, he is such a hard worker and such a talented player that if you use him properly and you don't give him, you know, 500 touches a year, you like could probably, did. yeah, exactly. And they were starting to really beat him up. And that was a big, mm-hmm. by the way, people don't think about this or talk about it. I should say that's a big part of the reason that he did what he did because he knew that if he came back on that franchise yeah. tag, they were going to use the hell out of him. And it was going to diminish his long-term value. And he didn't want to give control of his body over to them without a long-term deal. Now, you could agree or disagree with that, but I completely understand where he's coming from. And I'm going to have a podcast where I'm going to get into that in more detail with uh, Jacob Klinger, who covers the Steelers for Penn Live. But that's really what you want to make sure you do is use them properly and efficiently. And I think you can get two to three more excellent seasons out of him And look, if you have to get rid of him after that, it is what it is. It's the cost of doing business. But I think that if you can bring him in here and get two to three excellent seasons with Darnold on his rookie deal, and he can give you that kind of weapon that he desperately needs in that offense, it's absolutely worth it. And look, you have so much money to play with. I'm not saying give him quarterback money, but I see no reason why you couldn't say, look, Le'Veon, here's what Todd Gurley got. He got $45 guaranteed. We'll give you $46 million guaranteed. You can we'll say it. you have got the highest guarantees in the league. We'll give you the highest per year value. I don't know what, what Gurley's getting per year. It's probably, what, like 13 or 14, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So what if you give him a five-year, $75 million deal with $46 million guaranteed in the first three years of the deal? Fine. So what? You don't have anybody to pay coming up anyway. The, the only guys you have are Leonard Williams, who you may or may not want to pay anyway. And Jamal Adams, who's two years away from getting paid. So what's what's the problem? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and just in terms of like his his contract situation uh, and that type of stuff, I, th- I think it is going to be a, a deal probably right around $14, $15 million a year for people who think he's going to get quarterback money, like $19, $20 million a year. It's just never going to happen. It is most likely going to be between that $13 and $15 million um, with two or three years guaranteed. And like you said, the Steelers were going to run him into the ground. Um, and that was a concern of his, and that's why I said with the contract situation, um, 
do I love the way he handled it, like through the media and through Twitter and putting out emojis and things like that? No, there's, there, I, I, I don't at all. But at the same time, if you were looking at, at his situation and a lot of people, okay, well, yeah, he's making $14 million a year. How terrible for him. But he's looking at capitalizing off of his prime years of his football life, which a football career is very short um, to, to, you know, to, to make money for himself for the rest of his career. So if you're looking at a, a contract with the Steelers for $14 million and playing for that, where they're going to run you into the ground, which is going to substantially lower your, your potential earnings when you go out into free agency. Um, that's what he was looking at. So instead of getting run into the ground for a year and then lowering his next contract to, let's say, whatever, maybe $11, $12 million a year, uh, he'd rather play with a team who's going to pay him over you know, three, four years with that, with that money he wants to make over that one year of the Steelers, which is going to substantially lower his contract. And listen, and they were going to run into the ground. That was, that was clear. Um, they've been doing it. That's why he has so much carries that they just they consistently just run him, run him, run him. Well, like you said, um, he's a guy who works hard, so I think he'll he'll sustain his body and he'll keep himself health, uh, healthy. And then also, even if he's not as healthy after that first, like even if he starts to lose it a little bit in that third year, you could you could easily you you just throw the ball more or you you substitute a running back in a little bit more. You keep him more fresh. It you know just like they did with uh, Daniel Tomlinson. Daniel Tomlinson when he came here is not even close to the level that Bell will be. I, I think in in two three years at the end of that contract because people act like it's a baseball contract or like an NBA contract where okay the whole the whole thing is guaranteed. So he's going to be here for mm-hmm. all five years for fifteen million dollars a year. No. Most likely it's going to be three years guaranteed or two and a half years guaranteed. Um, and then he'll leave after that third year, which will be the you know perfect timing for when the Jets are trying to re-sign Sam Donald. So they're trying to they're trying to capitalize on Sam Donald's rookie deal, which they need to do. That's when teams win, minus the teams like the Patriots. The Patriots are an outlier, but you see this you know the Seahawks, perfect example. What what, did, mm-hmm. what happened with Russell Wilson on his rookie contract? Yep. Um, they got a bunch of players. They won. They went to the Super Bowl twice. As soon as he got his big contract, uh, they they basically hit the shitter. The same thing with Joe Flacco. Um, they capitalized on on his. I, yeah, he was on his rookie deal when they went to the Super Bowl. Then they paid him, correct? Um, mm-hmm. So that happens all the time. Uh, Matt Ryan as well. Um, he got paid. Uh, did he get paid before the Super Bowl or after the Super Bowl? Um, or right around after after the okay. Super Bowl. Okay, but there's there's plenty. Of, uh, Scott, you could probably you can probably give me even more examples because you've been Ka- really, Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah, yeah. So it just it, it continues on and on. You want to capitalize on that rookie deal? Cam you Newton. You give him that $14, $15 million uh, for a couple of years. It's not like the Jets are in cap in cap hell right now where they can only afford one player. And like you said, a lot of people act like it's okay. Well, you signed Telvin Coleman and Roger Saffold, which is which would be more than Bell's contract, both of those guys. That's probably more upwards of like $18, $19 million. But let's just say those two guys or Bell, where people act like I, like I said, you get Bell at A or you get B and C and D like I said yesterday, you can get A, B, C, and D. Like the Jets have enough money. Sure. And that's with and that's acting like all the free agents the Jets want are going to come to the Jets, which never happens. <laughs> Look right. at what happened last year. Oh, $100 million in cap space. The Jets got Crowell, Terrell Pryor, and Spencer Long as their big signings with Terrain Johnson as well. But, but still, like, is that a really like as big of an overhaul? If people are acting like, oh, well, if the Jets, you know, get Bell, then they're not going to have enough money to sign their 17th free agent. That's going to be a, a pro ball guy. Like that just doesn't happen. If you, if you get three like above average starters in free agency, that's good free agency. I, I yeah. Would, um, yeah, absolutely true. No question. And I will add mm-hmm. also that I think Bell and Paradise should be the two priorities here. I'd yep. love to get Trey Flowers. I'd love to get Anthony Barr, guys like that. But I think Bell and Paradise are absolute must-haves when you consider the needs of this team and when you consider who's available at the top of the draft. You can get impact defensive players at number three or even if you trade down a little yeah. bit. I'm not convinced you can do that 
if you trade no. down in the draft, and you certainly can't do it in the top three of the draft. And I don't think there are any other players on free agent market that can give you what Paradise or Bell can give you. Mm -hmm. So I think they really need to go after them hard. And I just want to make this point, Joe, based on what you're saying with the value. I, it really drives me kind of crazy, and I don't want to go on a tangent, but this is relevant. Go ahead. When people, <laughs> when people say things like, oh, he doesn't play for the love of the game, or he's only in it for the money, or this or that, it's a business. It doesn't matter to me whether the guy loves football, hates football, whatever. Let me tell you something. Curtis Martin, he said this many times. He hated football. Didn't like it. Didn't want to play football. Didn't like it at all. But you know what? Isn't there? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Isn't there a couple of guys you've interviewed too who like say they don't even watch football anymore? Yes, Wesley Walker told me he <laughs> yeah. never watches football. He doesn't even go to games. He does except uh, when he goes to the Jet games. To he does paid appearances. But when he's at home, he'll watch a movie over watching football. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. But you go watch Wesley Walker play. He was averaging over twenty yards a catch. Curtis Martin's in the Hall of Fame. He says mm -hmm. to this day. He could count on one hand the number of football games he's watched that he wasn't in. He didn't even like running. He, he says he doesn't run anymore. He, he boxes to stay in shape. So, but he still was committed to being the best he could be. It, it wasn't necessarily because, you know, he wanted to make the money only. He wanted to be great too because he takes pride in his, his performance, but he didn't love football. So the idea that you have to love football or something like that to be great at it is ridiculous. I care about results. As far as I'm concerned, Le'Veon Bell could go home every day and go, I hate football. I hate football. I hate football. As long as he goes out there and performs the way that he does, I don't really care. Also, more importantly, the idea that these guys shouldn't be like, oh, he's going to get 30 million. That's not enough. Or he's selfish or he's this or he's that. Listen, like you said, Joe, this is not the NBA. This is not MLB. These contracts are not guaranteed. And football players, more so than, than players in any other sport, have much shorter careers. They have mm -hmm. a limited time to earn as much as they can. And on top of it, people that act like, oh, well, how could you turn on this or that? You're not in that position. You do the so same if thing I, if you were. Right. And if I went up to, to somebody mm -hmm. and said, look, you know, I can give you $20 million or I can give you $40 million. Are you going to go, yeah, well, $20 million is more than I'll ever need. Give me the $20 million. Yeah, it's good enough. You want? Yeah, exactly. So it's just really silly as far as I'm concerned uh, that people take that attitude when in any other walk of life, you would say, of course, that person is going to try and get as much as they can. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you have to grub for every last penny. Like, let's say you're in Pittsburgh and you know that the cat and you love it there. I'm just, he doesn't, but let's say he did. And you love it there. And Pittsburgh's like, look, we're up against the cap. We know that you want 50 million guaranteed. We can really only afford to give you 40, 42, but we'll work with you, whatever. In that particular case, if you wanted to be like, look, I'm comfortable here. I don't want yeah. to leave. I'm willing to leave a little bit of money on the table. Fine. But you're talking about Le'Veon Bell was offered 30 million in guarantees. And also, like you said, he was going to have to give his body over or take that one-year franchise tag and mm -hmm. just get abused. And he was like, nah, man, I'm holding out for what I believe I'm worth. And I just, look, you could have quibbles with the way he handled it, like you said. And I for totally sure. understand that. No question about it. The emojis, the Snapchat stuff, the stuff on Instagram, saying in one, you know, out of one side of your mouth that you're never going to miss a game and at the other side of your mouth that you're not showing up until they pay you. Pick one. You know what I mean? But I have no problems with him deciding that he was going to hold out for what he felt he was entitled to based on his market value that the Steelers were not willing to give him. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't understand why people get so upset with that kind of stuff. So it, the whole idea that, oh, he's only in it for the money. I don't care. I care about results. I don't care about intentions. And the, the whole thing of, well, how could he turn down this much money? It's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you were offered 45 million over 30 million, I'm pretty yeah. sure you would want the 45 million. Yeah, people just act like they, they, they can never like put themselves in shoes like, oh, well, a million dollars is great. Yeah, but you have the chance, like you said, to earn 30 or 45. You're going to take the 45 every single time from that situation because like you said, listen, they're, they're, the NFL players are used to living that luxurious lifestyle and they want to continue it for their, for their entire lives. And they only have like 10 years, if that, to capitalize on, the, on their potential earnings, like I said. So um, but like you said too, with like guys in the draft with, with him and, and Paradise or Paradise, um, there's nobody in the draft. And even, even over years, how many guys in the draft are just as good as Le'Veon Bell? You don't just get top three elite Hall of Fame players in the draft every year. Like, that doesn't happen. That happens once every couple of years, if that. Um, so you're not going to get a Le'Veon Bell in the draft. There's no freaking shot. And even with, with Paradise, or Paradise, I don't know how you actually announce his name because um, I hear it both ways. But there's nobody you're going to get offensive line who's going to make as big of an impact as he would this year and next year, I, I don't think, um, in, in their first year or two starting. So they'll have to develop into the players they're going to be. So I think they're both really players that the Jets should, uh, should sign. And like you said, mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with the contract, which I already said, I don't love the way he handled it, but listen, it is what it is. And I uh, talk about the money and, uh, you know, he only plays for money. Every every NFL player plays for the money. <laughs> like, and so, like – Tom Brady, yeah, and look, I would Brady, love Tom it Brady if, has Giselle. They have enough money. Right. Like, and, and I would love it if every player had the passion for football that Jamal Adams has. Don't get me wrong. You love hearing how He's going to want his Jamal money too, though. Right, exactly. Jamal Adams is just going to go, I love football. Give me the league minimum. So, mm-hmm. And I understand we're not talking about like, oh, $30 million is a lot of money. But $30 million, it's, it's about – it's market value. That's it. That's all it comes down to. It's – if Todd Gurley's getting $45 million and I'm at least as good as Todd Gurley, I should be getting paid what Todd Gurley's getting. Yeah. That's it. That's really yeah. all it is. And it's the same thing with anything in any walk of life. It's a matter of value and scarcity and supply and demand. And the fact is the supply of players as good as Le'Veon Bell is low. The demand is mm-hmm. high. And the market value was set by Todd Gurley. And so even if he doesn't get as much as Gurley, he deserves something close to what Todd Gurley got, and he's not going to settle for less, and that's just the way it is. And look, again, whether or not he eats, breathes, and sleeps football, I couldn't tell you. It sounds like he really does love football. Just because he took yeah. a year off to, to get what he felt was right doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't love football. But even if he doesn't, like I said with Curtis Martin, Curtis Martin didn't even like football, but he's in the Hall of Fame because once he committed to it, he wanted to be the very best he could. And even if he didn't mm-hmm. like it, he still put out incredible performances year after year after year. So results over intentions and let's get off of this dumb narrative of, well, he's greedy, blah, 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 because that's yeah. just the way that human beings operate. And it's not like it's a Muhammad Wilkerson situation where he's like not going to meetings and missing meetings and showing that, right, that right. lack of effort before he even gets a contract. It's it, it, listen, if he's in, if he's going to work hard for money, go ahead. Like, I don't care. But um, next thing, what do, you, what do you think about his, uh, his suspensions for the weed? And, and what do you think about that? Cause it, honestly, like we could talk away a little bit about the locker room and the contract. I think this is definitely a worry. You cannot yeah. not worry about this. You cannot not, sure. uh, you can't just make excuses for this, but I think it, overall the jets will put a clause in the contract. Listen, if you get to for half a year a year you're not getting paid for that so I think that's definitely going to be in that contract and it, it's a worry that you can't just write off yeah and I think there are people that will say oh it's weed who cares 
And doesn't look, matter. I listen, Scott. I always right. say this. I, I, I think that is the laziest and most one of the most dumb excuses I've ever heard. I agree. Listen, I agree. Should should weed be illegal and alcohol be legal? Probably not. In my overall thoughts of of how it works and how both drugs affect you. Listen, I was in high sure. school. I, I smoked pot in high school plenty. Um, but if, if if it's if it's not allowed by the league, it's not allowed by the league, no matter right. what you say. Listen, right. I can't wear a gray or black shirt to work underneath right. my vest. Is, is that illegal to wear a black shirt? No, it's not, no. but it's something I have to abide by. I have to shave right. every day. So it's stuff that's, that's, that's uh, illegal. No, it's really stupid, but I have to do it. So don't give me that right. crap. You can't do it. It doesn't matter. No, I completely agree with you, and that's what I was about to say. Exactly. Now, look, if you want to go the Ricky Williams route, and that's what Ricky did. He said, nah, screw this. I'm just going to – I'm not going to play. And then he ended up coming back, but he stood by his principles. And if you're mm-hmm. somebody that believes very strongly that the league should change their – substance abuse policy then you should work with the players union and try to get that change in the next the next collective bargaining agreement 100 but the rules are the rules and you know what they are and so you have to follow them and if you don't you're going to get punished and that's just the way it is it's a dumb excuse like you said to say mm-hmm. oh well the law the rules are dumb yes they are dumb in, in my opinion but that's not doesn't matter they are what they are so you've got to abide by them with bell look I'm not going to lie. Of course, it, it, it's a little worrisome. Uh, when I talked to Jacob Klinger from Penn Live, what he told me is that it's this understanding that, believe it or not, if Bell got suspended a third time, he wouldn't get more than three or four games. I'm not entirely sure why that is, but uh, I'm going to have him back if they do sign Bell and find out exactly yeah. what, that, what the reasoning is for that. But either way, yes, he's been suspended twice. And look, it was for two different things. The first time it was because he got caught with the weed in the car with – uh, like Garrett Blunt. The second time it was because what a guy, skipped- what a name. Play on words there. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The second time he got suspended because he no showed a uh, drug test. Although from what Simon Chester told me, it was more than just one drug test that he skipped. So he probably knew he was going to test positive. Yeah, but what this sure. all comes back down to is, like you said, you know the rules. You know that the tests are going to come, and you've got to just abide by them if you want to play in the NFL. And that's just it. But I'm, am I a little nervous about it? Yes, yeah. it's a red flag, no question. Mm-hmm. Would it be enough to stop me from nope. signing him? No, not at all. Now, now, if you said, okay, well, all the money's guaranteed no matter what if he doesn't play or not, yeah, then I'm worried about it, but there's right, going to be clauses right, right. in the contract for that. And just sure. like you said, listen, and players have admitted this before, and even Marcus says it, players know there's a window from, like, I, I think it's from, like, like May – all the way until like January, you could smoke. There's only like a couple months during the year, like right. three or four months during the year, you cannot smoke. Now, if you get popped for a, for a negative test or, or a positive test, or whatever, um, then you're gonna get tested more frequently. But when you're not getting tested, um, at or you're getting tested like once or twice a year during those three months, listen, smoke up as much as Chi Chi Chong between freaking <laughs> and January. But then you, but then during those three months from like January to April, just don't smoke. That's all it takes. And so you, so you're freaking, it's just stupid that guys get popped for it. But listen, like I said, I can't, I, I have to shave. I have to wear certain boots. I have, right. to, I have to do all this stuff, you know, like so sure. I have to wear a hat on car stuff. Like there's, there's a lot of things that's got to wear a uniform. Yeah, exactly. So it has to be clean. It has to be ironed. It can't have, it can't have freaking mm-hmm. strings hanging off. Like it's just, it's just things that you do for work and you're making, millions of dollars don't tell me you can't stop smoking weed for freaking eight years or just three months during the year so it's just and if if you can't do what ricky williams did or like i said even better go to the nflpa and say these Mm -hmm. rules are archaic they shouldn't be there let's fight to get them overturned in the the players association 
exactly. And do that. But yeah, you got to abide by the rules. Like I said, yeah, definitely a cause for concern and it shows a lack of judgment in some ways, mm -hmm. but I would have a chat with him about this and, and yes, be very clear in the language in the contract that if you get suspended, then, you know, the money's not all guaranteed based on that and so on and so forth. You divide forth. it up. Let's say, let's say, let's yeah. just say it for, for easy math purposes. I don't feel like doing math right now. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the guaranteed money is $16 million for the, for the first year. Have you break it up? You miss a game. That's a million dollars. You know, like every game you miss on suspension is a million dollars, something like that. Um, it's going to be most likely something like that, but something else we talk about a couple more topics in terms of bell. Then I'll get into the film. Um, when you hop off, uh, Locker room problem. What do you what do you think about that? Is he is he going to come into this, to the locker room and be a huge type of problem that some people are saying um, he is? With Le'Veon Bell, yeah, yeah. I from what I've understand, he's not a locker room problem. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this is what okay, the misconception seems to be that he's a problem causer, kind of along the lines of Antonio Brown, or even, let's be honest, Ben Roethlisberger. From my investigation of this and speaking to people who cover the team, that's not really the case. What, what the deal was with Le'Veon Bell is his teammates got angry at him because they had conversations with him privately where he indicated that he would show up to training camp and then to the games for the season, and he did not do that. And so they were angry that they felt like they had been lied to Mm -hmm. based on what he said privately and then what he did publicly, right? As far as the locker room and, like, how people got along with him, though, I didn't hear any stories about him having problems with guys or being a tough teammate to deal with or any of that. I heard nothing but positive things. And he had a really good relationship with Mike Tomlin. So from that perspective, I don't know anything that would indicate to me that he mm -hmm. would be some sort of problem for Sam Darnold. Now, could he be – a bit of a lightning rod for the media based on some of the things he does on like Instagram and Twitter and, sure. and things like that. Yes. But let's be honest. You could say the same exact thing about Jamal Adams. So you know, he oh, hundred percent, even more so probably. And, and, yeah, exactly. So I don't think that's really that much of a concern. Like I said, the players that did turn on him, like Ramon Foster, who by the way is a free agent and could be an interesting ad here because He's a really good run blocker, so he could be a nice guy to add in there if you get Bell. But Ramon Foster, Alejandro Villanueva, who uncharacteristic, uh, uncharacteristically spoke out against him, uh, the team's union rep, who um, whose name is escaping me at the moment, and a couple of other guys spoke out, but they never had anything bad to say about Bell before that. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's like, like you said, most of it, it wasn't because of what he was actually doing in the locker room. It's the fact that he didn't show up and you indicated that he would show up. So I got frustrated with him. Um, and now what he, is he, is he a standout citizen? No, but also if the Jets are winning, I don't think any of that stuff's really going to matter, even if he has a little bit of an issue, which I don't think he's going to be a big issue. I think he come, he's going to come into the locker room. Jamal Adams wants those dogs, as he says. He's going to come in, he's going to work hard, he's going to perform. Now, if he's talking all this crap and, he, and he's doing all this stuff and he's not showing up during games, then, yeah, it's a problem. But when you're yeah. learning on Bell's talent, you're an elite playmaker in the NFL, none of that stuff's and, really going to matter because it's going to lead to more wins. And just as you were saying before, Joe, if he had a reputation for being lazy, yeah. for not working hard, if he wasn't producing at times, if he was going through cold spells, those kind of things. But that's never happened. In fact – when he served these suspensions, he's come back and been even more dominant than he was before. So that's another thing that you look at. You look at the traits with him as far as what he's like and what he typically 
tends to do as far as his training, as far as his effort. And there's never been any question of that. So yeah. again, I'm not really worried about that stuff with Bell. I'm, a li- I'm, I'm definitely a little bit nervous about the suspensions because that shows a lack of judgment. I could, yeah. I would prefer, and I could live with him not being on social media and doing the stuff that he does there the same way that I would you know, like to see Jamal. That's not going to stop you from an elite playmaker. No, not at all. No. Uh, any injuries? Yeah, they're a concern for sure. But like, like you said, it's not like it's, oh, he broke, broke his ankle and then the same ankle got hurt the next year. It's all kind of freakish mm-hmm. injuries. So yeah, that's a concern too, but I'm not as nervous about that as I would be with somebody where it's the same injury. Consistent hamstring issue. It's a bunch of different injuries, you know, Um, or it's like your Allen Iverson where he injured every single part of his body, like 14 million times. So, so it's, if another freak injury happens, yeah, but like I said, it's, it's not a hamstring that keeps flaring up and he keeps missing a couple of games here and there because of the same hamstring. It's just a bunch of different things. A couple more before we let you go. Um, and, I, and I think and I think it's true, and I think it's going to even be more kind of prominent with uh, if Le'Veon Bell gets signed because people want to play with elite players, and you're starting to see at the combine now that some people are starting to want to play for the Jets, like Benny Snell or Bryce Love or whoever we're talking about, you know, wanting to play for the Jets because of Adams and Darnold. Sure. Um, but the Jets need to add to it because, listen, how many times mm-hmm. in the last couple of years have the Jets uh, missed out on this guy or they're so close on this guy? Now if you have a guy like Jamal Adams who's an all-pro player, you have Le'Veon Bell who's a top uh, – uh, a, just a top elite playmaker in the entire league. You have Donald who's rising more of these guys like flowers, like Tate, like Paradis, like Saffold are going to come here instead of landing guys like Crowell, Pryor, Long, Carpenter, Curse, all these yep. jags that the Jets get. So I think that's something that's, that's even more, that's, that's more important that people don't even talk about that bringing in bell is going to land us even better free agents than we've gotten in, in past years because we're building on that core nucleus to, to make a run because people want to play with good players. And Joe, I think the key this offseason is going to be understanding the reality and figuring out Mm -hmm. how to build for the next two to three year window. So what I mean by that is my buddy Chris Walker and I have talked about this extensively. The Jets have to add at least three to four Pro Bowl level players by any combination of free agency and the draft this offseason. Now, of course, you'd love more than that. But you've got to add three to four. So that could be, say, Le'Veon Bell, Matt Paradise, Trey Flowers, Quinn and Williams. And Quinn and Williams, right? So that's there's your three to four guys. If that you've happens, got, oh, dude, like, man, that having actual good players on this team who aren't just Jags, right. having Trey Flowers, Quinn and Williams, Paradise, and Bell, oh. But continue. Well, yeah. yeah, 100%. And I think that if you could add something like that or anything close, even if, okay, let's say it's just Bell, Paradise and Quentin Williams or Bosa or or Josh Allen. You've now added three pro bowl to all pro level talents. I think if Darnold takes that leap that we expect, and if Herndon continues to play well, and if some of these other guys, if Tremaine Johnson can at least play okay. Or and Robbie Anderson year, continues on his trend. Right. And, and even in Nunwa, right. if Nunwa stays health, that's another right. big piece of this offense. So. And, and now you're building a team with those pieces that under the right circumstances could be a playoff contender in 2019, right? They're not going to be a Super Bowl contender, though, but a playoff contender. Get but, the build on it. Exactly. Now you've got the building blocks to start from. And in 2020, that's when you kind of do what the Rams did last year, oh, yeah. what the Eagles did the year they went to the Super Bowl. You start getting the all Sean Jeffrey types and guys mm-hmm. like that that you plug in, or you make a deal for – you know, uh, somebody like uh, Indomitong Sue on a one-year deal. 
or you trade for a Dante Fowler or a Brandon Cooks or whatever, because now you've got the foundation and you build on that foundation and you have the draft picks. So you add another piece or two. So 2020 to me is the year that you should be looking at as attempting to really make a deep run. And 2019, you need to put the pieces in place to make a playoff run. I'm not saying you even necessarily have to make the playoffs, but you have to be in the playoff hunt until around the end of the season. If you can do that, then you're showing me that this train is going in the right direction and that this thing has the potential to be really something special if you can build on it. But it's all got to start with getting guys like Mm -hmm. Bell getting, and, and like I said this before, Joe, I said it a couple of minutes ago to me, I would love Trey Flowers. I'd love Anthony Barr, Saffold, guys like that. Bell and Paradise are absolute musts. You've got to do whatever has to be done to get them because there is no equivalent, other equivalent in free agency. Morse is okay, but he's hurt so much. I know uh, Paradise is coming off an injury, but it's not like he has a career's worth. Mm-hmm. Morse is getting hurt, has had a Spencer Longish type of history with injuries, yeah. which makes you a little nervous. So Paradise and Bell – have to you have to go out there and do whatever you have to do because there's no equivalent in free agency there's no equivalent in the draft for either one of those two guys and it has to be done in their desperate needs you desperately need a playmaker and you desperately need somebody to anchor that offensive line at the center position those two guys are absolute must if you get those two everything else becomes gravy because at number three unless you're an idiot you should be able to land Mm -hmm. an instant playmaker whoever that ends up being you should be able to get at least one or two other solid, if not great, free agents, whoever yeah. that ends up being. Yeah, but one of the receivers. Those, exactly. Like I said, Jamison Crowder is an example of somebody mm-hmm. you could get. Probably for half the price. You could probably get 90% of Adam Humphrey's production for 50% of the price with a guy like Jamison Crowder. But I'm just saying, those two guys, Bell and Paradise, if I'm the Jets, those, I go to those guys' agents and I say, let's sit down. You tell me what this is going to take. Let's get this done and do not take no for an answer. That's it right there. Those are the two guys they absolutely have to have above all else. Yeah, yeah, I know. And you make a good point too, like capitalizing on that on that rookie deal, which we talked about. That's yeah. what teams like the Chiefs are doing. That's what teams like the Rams are doing. People want to say mm-hmm. long-term success, but listen, the long-term success is going to come with a, uh, with a great quarterback, you know, and that's going mm-hmm. to be Sam Darnold. So that's, that's our long-term success, but you have yeah. to hit – on, on that on that second third fourth year like the, the key years for the Jets win the Super Bowl are it's not going to be this year you know this year uh, on on the ceiling if you do get those guys you're hoping for like ten maybe ten wins maybe you get a wild card spot maybe you can get into the divisional round but next year in, in 2020, 2021, that's when the Jets are really going to make that run for the Super Bowl if they if they build this right and the first piece of that is adding Bell because you mm-hmm. know Bell coming in lands guys like Paradis, where Paradis comes in and Bell's not here. He's like, oh, I'm blocking for McGuire and Coleman. <laughs> right. That is attractive as, as Bell. And then getting Bell and Paradise leads to getting a guy like Golden Tate or Humphreys or, like you said, Crowder. And then you, you add another piece or two on defense. You have to get a corner or two. And then you add, like like you said, a Josh Allen or Quinn Williams, most likely they say at three, um, to a guy, even like, well, I know Brandon Graham got signed, but even if it is just an Anthony Barr, like adding adding more of these pieces, you have to keep adding them and adding them and building the nucleus to, to make that big run next year. Because the Jets are still going to have some contract money uh, to give out next year or some money to give out next year for contracts. But mm-hmm. was, you need to add, like you said, elite playmakers. Because the Jets have Jamal Adams, 
honestly, if you really look at the team and you're not looking with your with your green colored glasses, they have <laughs> Amp Donald, Jamal Adams, and then a bunch of like solid players or a lot of Jags. Like they don't have anybody else. You're like, wow, they have that guy. It's just kind of like Her- oh, Herndon hey. has the potential to, okay. just because yeah. of how thin the tight end position is. Mm-hmm. That if he builds on what he did last year, he might be able to be not as good necessarily as Adams or Darnold, but I think he could be a top five to to 10 tight end. Yeah. 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 If it all goes according to plan, but you're right in general. For and I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying like, listen, cause I, you know, I talk film. And I like a noon while more than other people looks always versatility. I like Anderson probably more than other people. I like Leonard Williams more than other people, but I'm just saying like, there are a bunch of guys who on other teams, you wouldn't even really hear about that much. Let's be right. honest. We have two mm-hmm. guys who were really like stand out in that. But now if you add a guy like paradise, who's going to be, in, in, in an all-pro discussion next year, most likely. You add Bell, who is an all-pro. You add another mm-hmm. solid receiver. You add Quinn and Williams, who I think is going to be a top three to five defensive lineman probably in his first or second year of the, of, of the NFL. I really think he is that freaking good. Um, you yeah. add those guys, uh, and, then you, and then in 2020, you really hit on a lot of those, like, all Sean Jeffries type guys, Dante Fowlers and Dominican Suits, like you said, the Rams and other teams. There are even the Rams adding Akeem Tlaib and trading for Marcus Peters. Like, that's what you have to do. Um, but they just need to start building this. And, and getting guys like Kel, uh, Kelvin Coleman are not going to no, attract no. These, these type of guys. Um, and people act, too, like, oh, let's just draft the running back. And I talked about it to you yesterday. You don't listen. I think it, it was so understated for a couple of years, and that, that now it's becoming extremely overstated. When's the last time I got like Le'Veon Bell has been drafted in the second round plus? It, it hasn't happened in years. David Johnson in the sixth or seventh round is not him. Um, Kareem Hunt is not Le'Veon Bell, and he has assault issues as well, obviously. Uh, uh, Kamara is a great player, but he's not Le'Veon Bell either. Um, none of these guys are Le'Veon Bell. You're not going to get an elite playmaker unless, like, look at, the, look at the guys I was talking about who are in the top three, or, or even the top four if you want to put Gurley in there. Gurley, first-round pick. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, top five pick. Saquon Barkley, second overall pick. So when you're trying to get elite playmakers, you have to draft them in that first round, and the chances of you hitting on a guy out of Bell's talent in the second round plus, even though Bell was a second-round pick, um, is extremely rare. So don't just say that you can get one of these guys in the draft because because obviously McCagney has not shown the ability to do that. <laughs> Late round picks were McGuire and Cannon, guys who might not even be on the roster next year. And I, and I like them a little bit. I like McGuire a lot more than and, uh, Cannon, but let's just not act. And I think people are, like I said, overstaying it now where people just act like you can get a freaking top 10 running back in the draft every single year if you just invest a third round pick into it. It's not the case. And I think, look, I'm sympathetic to that argument to one extent. I think that if the choice is you're going to pay Tevin Coleman ten million, or you're going to that's a completely different story because right. Tevin Coleman's not right. an elite playmaker. If it, now, ex- now if you, exactly, exactly. If you're talking about mm-hmm. Tel- Telvin Coleman at, uh, at nine ten million dollars a year, or draft the guy wh- whoever it may be like a like a I don't know Bryce Love in the fourth round, something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Take Love. Um, even come off the injury, you know, regardless of that, but whatever. But uh, I, that that's different. There's a big difference between being a, a, a starter or to a solid star from being an elite top ten, yep. like, top ten playmaker in the entire NFL. And I think top ten is being being kind of like cautious. I think he's probably top five playmaker in the NFL. Yeah, I think you could definitely make that case, and I'm with you. I think you can get a really good and even a top ten ish back. In the third, fourth round, you know, it's happened plenty. You know, you mentioned Kamara. You mentioned Kareem Hunt. David Johnson, I think, was a fourth-round pick. And there are a bunch of others. Uh, Philip Lindsay was a really good running back, and he was an undrafted free agent. So it's not hard to find a, a good to very good running back. But finding Le'Veon Bell is a whole other story. Yeah. And there's no Le'Veon Bell. Equi- I mean, look, anything could happen. But from what 
we can ascertain based on what we've seen with our own eyes and what other people are saying. Mm -hmm. There is no Le'Veon Bell equivalent in this draft. And that's why a guy like him in his prime is not ever an option in free agency. The only reason he's available is because there was a major issue contract-wise and he held out for a year. Let's be real. There's yeah. a very good chance that most running backs would have just signed what Pittsburgh put in front of them or played for the franchise tag last year, and then he'd be in the middle of negotiating a new deal with Pittsburgh right now. The only reason he's available is because he held his ground. So a guy like him is never, ever available. And there's also this, this factor. If we were talking about the Jets had, say, $30 million to spend, right? And you're exactly. like, okay, well, they don't have that much. They've got $100 million and they desperately need somebody to make plays. Now, you would prefer that that guy would be a wide receiver because I'd rather have a stud wide receiver than a stud running back because that's just the way the NFL works and the passing game is more important than the running game. But A, Bell provides you with a weapon in both the passing and the running game. And B, you've got to work within the world you live. So in the world you live, Golden Tate is probably the most elite wide receiver that's going to be available as a free agent. He's 31 and he's a good but not great wide receiver anyway. Mm -hmm. Le'Veon Bell is on another level. So when you're sitting there as the Jets and you have all this cap space, you have a desperate need for somebody to come in and lift that offense up. And you have a top three pick in a draft that has no real offensive difference makers in it, at least not to the point where you'd pick one that high. It's a no-brainer to no. go after this guy. You have to do it. And like you said, even if the argument is it's easy to find a really good running back late in the draft or in the middle of the draft, that's 100% true. But you've got to take into account the Jets' circumstances here, and you've got to take into account that we're not just talking about a really good running back or even a top 10 running back. We're talking about a guy who's going to be probably a first ballot Hall of Famer in yeah. his prime. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And like you said, too, with like adding these guys and even just adding better coaching to, to the team. And like you said, you're not a big, big Gates fan because of all stuff off the field, but uh, coaching and the, the versatility that he'll add to, to Adam Gates' offense is is incredible. Uh, you put in heavier personnel to stop the, 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 uh, the, the run than you pass. If you put a linebacker or a safety and man coverage on him, uh, Gates does like to use a lot of, of pre-snap motion, stuff like that if he, if he – Sees that's man, you split out Le'Veon Bell wide. He runs a slant. Even, even just an easier route as a slant uh, versus a linebacker or safety, he's going to win nine out of ten times. If, if mm -hmm. you put in nickel or dime to get an extra safety in to try to cover him instead of that linebacker, you think the safety is a better, better shot, then guess what? You keep, him, you keep him in between the tackles and you run it down their throat. Um, he, help, he helps the offensive line. He helps Donald so much more than people can really realize. And like I said to you yesterday, um, Donald had to throw more third and ten and fourth and ten uh, – 10-yard-plus uh, passes to anybody in the entire NFL. Now, if you're giving him a second and five, or now that second and five, instead of being a second and 10 or a second and 11, where you have to just try to get yardage to make it third and manageable, now that second and five, you take more sh deep shots to Robbie Anderson. It helps Robbie Anderson out more. It helps the, it helps the, um, the, the pass game out in general because play action works a lot better. Uh, it helps him set a, set a better position. Instead of third and 10, third and 12, now it's third and three. Now, now, now the Jets convert. Um, and they can, uh, they, they obviously sustain drives and they score more points. It's just, it's, it's, it's a dead, it's, it's, it's so obvious that Le'Veon Bell helps this team in so many ways, mm -hmm. um, that it'd be stupid to not sign him just in terms of like helping Sam Donald throwing third and fives instead of third and twelves freaking every single game more than, like I said, anybody in NFL. So, um, the versatility he, he provides, uh, is absurd. The Jets have not had a top, I asked you the same question yesterday, Scott. 
the last time the Jets signed a top three to five guy at their position was was Maui and Curtis Martin, 20, 21 mm-hmm. years ago. When's the last mm-hmm. time the Jets had even had a top three to five guy at an offensive at an offensive position or even defensive position? Other than Re- Revis was the last one that they have that they have. You had. you could make a case that before he got hurt and stopped trying, Mo Wilkerson might have been a top five ish player. Yeah, and and that's what we're talking line. about defense. I was I was mostly talking right. about offense as well, but that's, yeah. that's 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 if Wilkerson. That's if. Right. But right. on offense, when the last time the Jets have had a legitimate elite Hall of Fame playmaker, Curtis Martin was the last one. That was twenty Curtis years. Curtis Martin. Ago. Yeah, absolutely. That was the last one, and they've had some good ones. You know, Brandon Marshall, though he wasn't in his yeah. prime, was really good. And Santonio Holmes was really good. And Lavertius Coles was really good. Yeah, good is different than elite, you know, ex- which ex- we talking ex- about. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. really what you have to look at. It's a rare opportunity to add a guy who's an elite playmaker and can do it in a multiple, uh, a variety of ways. And last point I wanted to make along those lines, Joe, before I, I let you go do your film. Yeah, I, I, I only have one more question for you before I let you go. Yeah, because I was going to say last, last thing I wanted to say real quick before we mm-hmm. do that. The, the overriding notion here is that you can't win with a running back or you hear it on the other side of the ball. You, it's a waste with interior linemen, whatever. The bottom line is there's more than one way to skin a cat. So if you figure out a way to, make, to, to take your passing offense and bring it to the next level, it could be something entirely different than what you're used to. Like I said, if you say, say had Hawkinson – and Anunua lined up at two tight end sets, and you have Le'Veon Bell as a receiving threat out of the backfield. That's not what teams traditionally do to score points. But you want to know something? You're going to create mismatches, and you could score a lot of points doing that. I'm not, again, not yeah. necessarily endorsing mm-hmm. doing it. I'm just throwing an example out there. On the defensive side of the ball, you hear all this stuff about you gotta, you got to get an edge rusher, you got to get an edge rusher. Okay, that's great. That's how a lot of teams do it. But you know something? What if – you had Quinnen Williams, Leonard Williams, and Trey Flowers on this defensive line. Now you can create pressure without even having to blitz. So if you not even Trey, Fla- the- you don't even, you don't even need Trey Flowers. Just just the two Williams right. would make a massive difference. Right, but I'm even just saying, just yeah. as an example, mm-hmm. the bottom line is how do you produce in the passing offense? How do you score points? Right. So however you do that, you do that. And on this, on the, by the same token, on the defensive side of the ball. How do you get to the quarterback and how do you create turnovers? It doesn't matter whether it's the way that other teams are doing it or whether you're figuring out another way. But if you have a guy on the interior line or more than one guy that can create havoc that way as opposed to from the outside, what does it matter as long as they're getting to the quarterback and they're creating turnovers because that's how you win in the NFL. So that's really what I think the Jets have to look at with Bell and with the draft too with Quentin Williams where we're talking about. Don't worry about what other people are saying you need to do. And don't worry about what necessarily A or B or C is doing, whatever teams. Worry about what you think is the best way to score points, to create magic in the passing game, and worry about how you Mm -hmm. can hit the quarterback and create turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. If you can do that and you can get players that can do that, no matter where they play on the field, you are going to have a team that is going to be on the right track and really start winning. And I think people like and, and listen. I get the the pass rush from the outside linebacker, and obviously any pass rush is important. But I think people automatically assume, okay, well you need that pass rush from that outside linebacker because that's where you typically see it from. But I'm of the thinking, and Marcus is of the thinking, and two guys who obviously study football a lot. Interior pressure wins all all day versus versus exterior pressure because if you're if you're an offensive lineman and you're just going to play inside out and you're just going to run them around the arc and they have to they have to bend, and even if they do have a really good bend, you see guys like Tom Brady just step up in the pocket and fire the ball really quickly. Now if if you have a guy 
guy coming interiorly from your in, in your face, bull rushing a, a offensive guard or a center back, it's, it's almost impossible to, to get away from unless you're going to scramble, which then, one, if you can't scramble, you're screwed. And two, mm-hmm. if you can scramble, you're taking away half the field of, of what you can throw to unless you're Patrick Mahomes, which still the ball is not going to get there as quickly as it needs to for a really good defensive back who plays the ball well or plays the receiver well. So uh, Quinn and Williams, and I remember I, I, I'm going to credit myself here because I think I was one of the first people to say um, that I really do think that he'd be a really a fantastic pick at three. I remember I, I, I saw that first. I was like, you know, Quinn and Williams, like what, what the hell, man? And I watched his film a while mm-hmm. ago, and I texted you. I was like, dude, listen. <laughs> there he's a different level prospect he is my number mm-hmm. one prospect i think he's better than nick bosa just at mm-hmm. his position i think he's better and i think he could potentially make even a bigger impact than nick bosa i think nick bosa doesn't have as high of a ceiling uh, as people think he does even though i think he has a really high floor so don't overthink quentin williams either um but we're not talking about that now that's for a draft show but uh yeah quentin williams is definitely my dude he's my number one guy um mm-hmm. and just to wrap it up unless you have anything else you want to add to it i just want to ask you like where we talked about a lot of where he stands in the league where do you think in terms of playmakers like receivers running backs where do you think mm-hmm. he, like where would you put him at i think when he's healthy you could make a very strong case that Le'Veon Bell's the best running back in the league even if he's not the best pure runner, I think when you, as far as guys that play that position, mm-hmm. the multitude of things that he does well, I mean, I think Barkley is probably going to get to that level pretty soon if he's not there yet. Yeah. But I think you could make a very strong case. Bell is the number one guy there. As far as yeah. overall playmakers, man, that's a tough one. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys like, I think somebody, and I don't even know if he's going to keep playing, but when he's healthy, a guy like Gronk, and now he's, you know, kind of, yeah slowing down and all that but over the last couple of years before the injuries really took their toll he was a guy that you would put near the top of the list I think yeah. Antonio Brown certainly is up there Odell Beckham uh, you, you mentioned Nook Hopkins before yeah there are a lot of guys like that but I think Bell is somewhere in that top five to ten of overall playmakers I think I honestly I think it's like just thinking about it now if I really had to like rate them even with including tight ends I don't think they would make it as big of an impact uh, Gronkowski is probably taking in, injuries into, uh, into consideration. Maybe, maybe now. Travis Kelsey. Yeah, but I, I honestly, I think it's probably, I think it's probably Hopkins one, Beckham two, uh, uh, Brown three, and then pro- honestly, going to this year, I, I really do think Barkley's that good. I think Barkley's probably four, and I think Bell is five. That's that's probably that's probably where I would rank them. Um, but having that fifth guy, the fifth most elite playmaker in the league, I think it's fantastic. But uh, obviously, we're going to get into the film now. Uh, Scott, do you have anything else you'd want to add? If not, promote yourself. Talk a little bit. I know you're, you're good at promoting stuff and all that stuff. But, uh, just want to have it. That's Joe's way of saying that I'm a cheap used car salesman, I guess. Well, um, you, I'm, a, I'm a hooker on your podcast, so it's a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, we made a joke about that, too. Uh, essentially, all I, will, all I will say is that, like I said, I think the Jets – have to go and get Le'Veon Bell and Matt Paradise. They have more cap space. I, and I said this real quick. I'll, I'll throw this mm-hmm. out there too. When it comes to Le'Veon Bell, if you look at the teams that have cap space, I'm told by people that are in the know in Indianapolis that the Colts are not going to make a serious run at Le'Veon Bell because they have Marlon Mack, who had double-digit touchdowns, average almost five yards a carry, is much younger, and makes pennies on the dollar. Plus, they have two other running backs that they like. They want to invest at wide receiver. They want to invest on the defense. It's possible they kick the tires on Bell, but it's unlikely that they're going to make a huge run at him. Beyond them, the Jets have the most cap space in the league. The two teams that are relatively close are the Browns and the Bills. Neither of those teams needs a running back. They are not going to bid on Le'Veon Bell. You go down the list. Houston has $70 million as opposed to the Jets. 
they came out and said they're planning on having Lamar Miller be their running back. Now, even if that's not true and they do make a run, the Jets have 30 million more than they do. You look at the 49ers, who would be the next team on the list. The Jets have 40 million more than them. The Jets have way more money than the rest of these teams. They have a gaping need and they need to fill it and they need to be out there and they need to say, look, we failed with Kirk Cousins last year. Now you could say blessing in disguise, whatever. But we failed with Kirk Cousins last year. Yeah. But but you could say we failed with Cousins last year. We are not going to fail again. We need this guy. We're getting him. We're not going to be deterred. I think they need to do that with him and they need to do it with Paradise. And then after that, everything else is gravy. I would love to see Trey Flowers or Anthony Barr or Saffold or whoever, Crowder. But those are the two they must have. And as far as the, everything else, we're going to be talking about this in detail on the podcast, on my podcast, Play Like a Jet. You can subscribe on my iTunes feed or anywhere else where you download podcasts. Leave a five-star review. If you don't like the show, then just forget I said anything and don't leave a <laughs> review at all. You know, or if you got something nice, say it. Otherwise, you know, if you got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. But mm-hmm. we're, do, we're doing basically daily content, and we're going to be ramping this up. We've got a lot of Late Beyond Bell-centric content, including the show with Joe that's going to drop next week. After that, we're going to be doing nightly free agency recaps. I'm going to have Daryl Slater and Chris Nimbley on, and we're going to review what's been going on, the rumors, the whispers, on top of what's actually already happened. And then, of course, we're going to be doing a ton of draft coverage. We're going to be looking under the hood with all the top prospects, the ones that the Jets might reasonably draft. We're not going to be looking at guys that are going to go at the end of the first round or anything like that. But the guys at the top, you know, you're, you're, you'll look at, we'll look at Quentin Williams and Ed Oliver and Nick Bosa and Josh Allen and Greedy Williams and Jonah Williams and guys like that. We're going to take a real close look mm-hmm. from a film perspective. Joe, we're, you're going to be on. We're That's from the hooker. Yep. That's right. You're going you're gonna to prostitute yourself for that. Then we're going to have Michael Nania taking a deep look at the numbers. We're going to talk to Jim Coburn, who's an analytics guy. We'll yep. talk to people that are on the beat at those schools, on and on. So it's going to be nonstop coverage. And we also, this weekend, by the way, are going to have part five of our discussion with Wesley Walker. And even if you are not somebody that got to watch Wesley play, trust me, he was awesome. And he's even more awesome as a person. And the fact that he's so open and willing to tell the truth about himself even when it doesn't necessarily make him look good, is a really yeah. – it's a different type of thing than I'm used to, even as somebody who's interviewed a lot of these players. So, again, if you can, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, Play Like a Jet, and, and also leave us a review. And you can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. Joe, as always, a pleasure. You know I always love talking to you, whether it's recorded or not. <laughs> I love those 2.30 a.m. texts. We're the only two – most people are getting – if they're getting a text at 2.30 in the morning, it's from – uh, a, a girl or a guy who's asking them to come over for, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or somebody got arrested. <laughs> right. Or somebody got arrested. It's either a hookup or somebody got arrested with us. It's, Hey, I just finished watching Quentin Williams. Check out the scouting report that I have. So yeah, that, that, that's why we, we both do this because we're both nerds and we love football more than mm-hmm. anything else. And it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you about it. And I can't wait to see the rest of your film breakdowns. Yeah, cool. Okay, uh, Scott, we'll talk to you later. Like, like he said, uh, definitely go and follow him at Play Like a Jet One on Twitter. Um, does he doesn't call it a daily podcast, but it's a daily podcast <laughs> um, for for the most part. But yeah, just for to get an insight on the joke, I am a hooker there because they basically take me, use me for film work, and then and then ditch me <laughs> to the side of the road. I never get to throw my opinions out there; just strictly film. Uh, but no, Scott, we 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 appreciate you, and I'll uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Joe. Thanks, man. All right. So going into uh, Le'Veon Bell's, uh, the, the strength that he has, and we'll talk about some of the film. Um, 
for the next, what, probably half an hour to 40 minutes. This is going to be a pretty lengthy podcast. Um, we'll probably get into, like I said, maybe 15, 20, and then next week we'll have a good, like, 30 or so um, plays. Scott, are you, are you just listening? <laughs> Well, I'm leaving the meeting right now, actually. I'm finding the button to leave. <laughs> I was like, maybe he just wants to watch. I was like, people are going to see him there. Oh, I'll be watching on the, on the YouTube channel for sure. But at this moment, I'm looking for the leave meeting button. So here we go. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Um, I just saw him sitting there just watching me. I was like, what is going on right now? I thought he was going to leave. Um, but just to go into the film really, really quickly. And uh, we appreciate Scott for being on. He was just on for what probably a solid hour and a half. So I don't want to make this really like too, too long. Um, but just before I get into the film, I'm actually going to try something different this week. Uh, we're going to see how it works out, see how people respond to it. But instead of kind of having that dead time between some of the plays, I'm just going to pause the show really quickly, pause and start it, uh, the recording. Um, so there's not as much dead time because there is a lot of plays for him. So I'm going to try it out. If you don't like it, let me know. Um, and, uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but strengths so is just the ones I listed just because we do have time for this and it's things that, you know, I talk about bell. I mentioned some overall strengths, but I never really go through the whole list. And for people who don't read the articles, people who are not on Twitter, who want to get a full list of all the strengths I have, which is a ridiculously long list. I usually do not have, um, list of strength this much and when i'm looking for a strength on film it's it's not anything i see one or two times if i see it one or two times then i mark it down with like a question mark now if i see it three four five times that's when i put it as one of those strengths these are, these are things i've seen um an extraordinary amount on, on film from bell i'm just gonna go through the list if you don't want to listen skip the next minute or two or i'm gonna go over just a list of strengths but strengths i have listed burst sets up blockers well vision strength lower body power patience willing Willing and able to truck people um, over and or drive them forward. Fantastic pass protection, jump cuts, suddenness, can cut on a dime, agility, uh, nasty stiff arm, uh, stop start quit, uh, quickness, route running, good at reading blitzes and where defenders will come from, absurd peripheral vision, uh, hurdles when defenders go low, always falls forward and able to fight for extra yards, football IQ, reads gaps extraordinarily, uh, can get skinny, spatial awareness, footwork, knows how and when to drop weight, will break D lineman's tackles, hop, step and stab moves are a strength, um, great hands, knows how to press line and set up blocks, knows how uh, and when to alter gate to allow faster cuts and or more advantageous positions to cut uh, rarely goes down on arm tackles uh, can make people miss in a phone booth able to absorb hits balance contact balance lateral quickness always runs with shoulders over knees keeps feet clean in traffic legs always churning versatility having a crap load of strengths uh, can make dynamic cuts which are cuts out outside of your frame uh, can instantly stop momentum manipulates defenders with tracks size overall flexibility and ankle flexibility the only like weaknesses i really noticed on film um were there's literally just a couple of them were sometimes too patient missing available yards looking for bigger lanes or bigger runs tries to get too fancy in situations that don't require it lacks elite speed had some fumbles due to loosely carrying the ball in traffic uh, traffic saw instances of gate being too large hoppy leading to delayed cut which happened very rarely but it did happen so it's something i did have to mention um and lack of fo focus on catching ball and looking it in leading to some drops uh so those are the weaknesses and those are the strengths and like i said i'm not just making up those strengths i'm not pulling them out of my ass so uh getting into the actual film we will get into that first play i'm sorry there's going to be some times where it's like 
I can hear myself way too much right now. Um, but let me make a little bit of like let's stop and start. Cause like I said, I'm going to try to pause it and get the plays up so people aren't waiting forever for me to pull up the plays because I don't know if you want to hear my other opinions other than the film at this point because we just talked about it for or Bell for an hour and a half. I'm sure some other topics are going to come up. But uh, this is a uh, 12 personnel um, set from the, from the Steelers. 12, 1, 2, 1. So it's 1 and then 2 of the 12 personnel. The tight ends is the second number. Uh, the Steelers run an inside zone split. You can see at the mesh point that Bell is reading the play side. He's supposed to read the play side gaps first on an inside zone. So he's reading this uh, four-eye tech right here, four-eye tech being inside of the tackle. Um, Three-tech would be more here. And uh, he reads he reads that that play right there. He sees that it might be a little bit clogged up, So and Bell is always going to read um, – for the most part, the entire the entire uh, offensive line he doesn't just read uh, one part of the offensive line. Now, if it's more of a gap or a man player, we're supposed to hit a, 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 a specific hole. Maybe he's only reading a gap or two outside. But on a zone player, we have a multiple cutback options. He only reads the entire side of the uh, the, ent- the entire defense as he takes the ball. The mesh point, you'd see him reading the backside. He sees a lot of like, a lot of guys over here. So what Bell does is he drops his weight. Which is which is a, the ability to cut. This is a little bit of the dynamic cut, cutting outside the frame, where usually you see cuts more inside the frame. Um, but he has good footwork right here. As you can see, he's about to drop right here. The good thing about that footwork is how he op- you see how he opens his hips as much as he can. So he's not his foot isn't pointing this way trying to cut that way because he has to cut like through your hips. He's opening up his hips to be able to cut through that way. Uh, so good good drop of the weight right there. Good way to open up that 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 right hip that forward hip. Um, and then something else you see too is little hops. So he hops forward to the line of scrimmage, presses the line of scrimmage, and and then again explodes into that into that backside. Uh, we can actually call it a backside uh, A, B, C, D gap. Cuts into that backside D gap. And as soon as he sees that that lane, you can see his plant and burst right upfield. So a really good run from from Bell right there. I sl- I sl- you slow it down so you don't appreciate it as much. But you play it in full speed, you really see how fast that all happens with all that forework, the ability to burst, the drop of the weight, the dynamic cut right there, um, reading the football IQ. That's that's all um, really good from from Bell on that play right there. All right, and looking at the next play, um, this is something I'm, I'm actually just going to do two plays really quickly right here because the, this one isn't really um, too big of a talking point, but something that I did mention with Scott and something I mentioned at you know in terms of some of his weaknesses are the, his, his lack of focus with catching some balls where he will have some drops that are a little bit frustrating, and you can see exactly why where I say he won't look some balls in. You want to look the ball in all the way to your hands. Um, one with his hands, too. They're a little bit separated from me. You want you want them to be more in, in that like diamond-type uh, formation to catch the nose of the ball. Um, they're a little bit too separate. Your hands are separate. You can't really catch the ball as well as you want to. You want to slow down the momentum with that diamond instead of kind of having to clap on the ball, which he kind of tries to do right here. And you can see his head turn to go upfield before he before the ball is secured, um, which is some part of where I said he has a little bit of that, uh, that issue with dropping some balls, and that's something that we saw um, – you know, right there with that play, and then moving on to more of his game with the uh, with the pass catching um, on this next play right here. Uh, this is some of his route running ability, and with this specific route, there's actually some things I I, I would like to improve. Um, but you see the the Steelers in another gun set right here. He breaks through the hard the, the line of scrimmage hard. He's playing a it's a it's a I don't, okay it's pleasant. I think his name is yeah. He's a he's a safety for. Um, for the uh, for the Texans, and he's just down in the box right now, just obviously playing in man coverage versus Bell. Now, there's a couple things I would like to see him improve right here. Now, there's some good things. Uh, the fact that he breaks through the line of scrimmage so aggressively right there to get – you can see how the linebacker gets a little bit on his heels. You see how, he, see how he, he's breaking towards him, and he's breaking aggressively, where if he's breaking more uh, conservatively, he wouldn't be on his heels. But you literally see what I'm saying. S35 is on his toes. On, he's on his toes here. 
and then on his heels as, as he presses towards him, which is why you press guys and you get on their toes to make them off balance because is he more on balance even here or here when, he, when he's starting to hop backwards? So that, that's good from Le'Veon Bell. Now, would I like to see him press him a little bit more? Um, yes, I would. I'd actually like to see him uh, eat up some more, even more of this space, get him more off balance to open up outside. So I think he cut a little bit too far away from him. I think that outside leg might be a little bit too far out, outside of his frame. So I'd like to see that a little bit more um, outside or uh, it, you know, inside of his frame, even though he is able to make dynamic cuts. But uh, it, it is an option route. So he has a two-way. He can either go you know, left or right um, on this route. And the other thing with this is he catches the ball, which is good. Now, with this catch, it's kind of in almost that weird area. Maybe I'll just see more of that overhand aggressive type of catch instead of more passive like this. But he still secures it, catches it with his hands, looks it in, um, and secures it. And, and he holds it away, too. That's, that, that's something that's smart, too, in this play that's you know, not, not really going to see to talk about anywhere else. Um, is the fact that because the, the defensive back is in trail and he's an opportunity to punch his hand through, even though his left hand doesn't get through it here, a lot of defensive backs will punch through and up and try to get that ball out. But Bell has the awareness to, to hold the ball away from his body while he's punching through. And then he tucks as he's getting wrapped, uh, wrapped so his momentum doesn't uh, hit the ball out. So really good play from, from Bell. Um, you know, right there on, on that play for multiple reasons. Like I said, there's always a room for improvement. There's no player who's really perfect in any, in any scenario. There's even on every play, there's something you can most likely improve on. Um, but still re- a really good rep for Le'Veon Bell right there. All right. Next play we're going to be looking at is a, um, another inside zone run. Just let me pull it up. And this is why I just, in, actually I did this to it to avoid, um, this uh this dead time before it but i actually just screwed up really quickly so i'm just going to uh do this really quick and i'll pull up this another player inside zone they they ran a lot of inside zone from from gun sets you're gonna see a lot of gun sets when i'm, when I'm doing this show like i said we'll do i'm not gonna do a ton more today but we're gonna do a lot of film next the next uh the next show i know this is a film room but Le'Veon Bell is such a big uh, topic that I want to bring Scott Mason on, uh, who knows a lot about the situation, talking to a lot of different people on the talk, kind of the storylines around Bell. Then obviously we're going to get into the film because that's what the show is. Um, but it, this is another inside zone. So he's, he's reading the play side. Uh, Clowney jumps as, a, as like a stand-up one, um, jumps to the to the backside. So this is pretty much open for Bell right here in the in the. Uh, in the a gap so he so he hits that a gap but what i really like about this run too is where i talk about like his peripheral vision and not looking at where he's going to cut which is something that that's pretty ridiculous you can see how he sets up this this uh the safety really badly who is taking he doesn't break down pop properly he should eat up more space and not sh- uh, laterally shuffle because he has help from uh this guy in here but he does this because one he's not a great safety clearly in terms of at least the run game um, but levy on bell sets him up the whole time you can see it in fast motion he's looking the outside the entire time sprinting outside levy on bell never looks inside plants hard and, and cuts up field uh for the touchdown and um that's another like cut outside of his frame a little bit right there fast cut that's a that's a, that's a really like a speed cut um from him and something else that's a positive and just in terms of his balance and things like that listen if he went down right here like a lot of running backs would, that's either at the two-yard line most likely. But the ability to keep his arm out like that, which is a risk for breaking your elbow, but if you're an athlete, you could do it if you know how to do it properly. Um, but that, that arm is stabilizing him for that left foot right there to propel him. So that's a really smart play right there. Stabilize, propel for that extra, that extra you know, two yards, yard and a half, whatever it may be, um, for the touchdown. So really, really nice play from, from Bell there, again, uh, for multiple reasons. Next play is another example of Bell 
uh, his ability to to cut uh, without looking. Here he's he's checking and releasing. He's checking if there's any blitz. Uh, you see the two linebackers drop back. There's only four guys rushing. Le'Veon Bell um, checks out into the flat. And again, what happens here is he cuts without looking. You can see how the linebacker, he's pressing outside. He never looks inside. He doesn't even see if anybody's in there, but he does with his peripheral vision. The linebacker thinks, oh, crap, he's going to get outside. i got to contain the sideline. Le'Veon Bell, again, drops his weight, which you need to drop your weight to be able to cut. You can see how low he gets right there. If you saw that knee from the front version, of this play, that knee is completely probably parallel with the ground, if not even at a lower angle. So good ability to drop the weight to be able to cut right there. Um, and again, you see that that actually he doesn't even open that hip before he cuts, but that's because he's kind of giving an outside track to the to the defender. Uh, but again, cuts without looking and and burst up field again. He gets actually rocked right there by the safety, but um, another nice cut to get you know an extra. Uh, let's say. Probably around what almost you know twelve thirteen yards right there. So um, another good play from from Bell, just showing that ability to uh, to cut without without looking. Now the next one I'm going to get into, which is one of the weaknesses that I've talked about um, a little bit with Bell and his and the, the fact that he tries to get a little bit too much at times for me. Um, I believe this was I'm, I'm not sure if this was third down or not, but this is where you see some of those problems. Um, here, here again, where this is another inside zone, maybe it's even like a mid zone um, running play. And you see what I'm saying here, where there's there's a massive hole right here for you know a lot of a lot of yardage. And even when he's taking the ball at the mesh point, I understand he he's so what he's seeing right now, why he goes more outside is this linebacker. But what Le'Veon Bell would typically do, this is like like I said, more of an outlier. This is of, of his vision um, and him trying to get a little bit too much even. Press a little bit outside. As soon as this happens, you plant and you explode upfield. But Le'Veon Bell is thinking at this point, well, okay, I already, I already delayed my track. Now people are going to come from the inside, and there's three blockers versus three outside. But you, you the blocks have to sustain and, and, and continue to happen for him to do that. So he gets he tries to get a little bit too much right here, depending on his blockers and getting outside, when really he should just press he should just press more towards the right side of that of that uh, of the center. And then cut through that uh, backside a gap as he sees it open because that's open right there and that's an easy you know five six seven eight nine yards whatever it may be but he tries to get a little bit too much right there which like I said is, is one of his problems it's not something that's gonna pop up all the time uh, but it is definitely something that I noticed on film at least a few times and enough to uh, to be able to or enough that I think it should be mentioned in talking about some of the weaknesses in his game. Next play, we're going to talk a little bit about um, his management of speed, and this is just this is just smart. This is football IQs, like I said, um, with, the, with the management of speed and knowing how to set up blocks. This is setting up a block, so it's a crack toss. You can see the the crack from or the attempted crack from Jesse James right there, which is which is not a good block by him. Um, fail block to get to that second level. Um, but what I really like about this play is you see you see how he how he hesitates right here. He's not running with his with his uh, shoulders over his knees after this point because he's slowing up. And what that's doing is one that uh, right tackle who's who's pulling right here in this crack toss. It allows him now look. So at this point, if he didn't slow up, so if Bell kept running full tilt right here, this 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 uh, defensive back is going to play more outside and it's going to be harder to get outside because one you can't cut outside because he'll be here and this defender will be coming inside so he's going to blow up that run right there if he continues full outside right here he's not getting a big run at all he's probably going to get stopped at the twenty five maybe twenty four twenty three yard line but because he he alters his speed right here the the the, the management of the speed slows up he allows that block to develop from number seventy four 
And then you could see that makes the, the linebacker attack more aggressively downfield. And then he puts on the Jets a little bit to get to the sideline. So instead of getting tackled at the 25, 24-yard line, he gains an extra 9, 10 yards because of management of speed and just how smart he is. That's, that's, that's impressive play. That doesn't look like people see on, like on, the, on the broadcast. Where like, oh, yeah, nice run. He got to the outside. But it's all because of management of speed, knowing how to set up his blocks, letting his blocks develop, and making the number 52 – um, you know, bite downhill and making him come, uh, you know, like I said, more aggressively uh, leading to Bell being able to get that outside because he let that block develop from uh, number, whoever it was, the right tackle. So next play we're going to talk about is a little bit of that, like where I'm talking about pressing the, the pressing inside or pressing outside to get the inside. We talked, we already, already showed that um, in one run previously, I believe. Um, but another inside zone run um, from the Steelers out of gun set, which is not, which is not a shocker. Um, with uh, 11, per- yeah, 11 personnel right here, you have number 10, who's a little bit tighter right there, um, but it's still 10 personnel. And what's like, this isn't, again, you're watching this on a film and like, okay, do you watch this? And you're like, eh, you know, great running off the outside. And, you know, it might not be a hugely fa- uh, flashy play on the broadcast, but when you're watching on film, you know what you're looking at. Um, really, truly, truly impressive uh, run right here. As he's taking the the snap, he's he's analyzing. You could, you can see his eyes flash into that two eye tech number ninety eight right there on the play side. He sees he takes the inside, so he's going to take the outside. And as his eyes go uh, outside to look at number ninety nine, who's the the e mall. We call him e mall because he's the end man on the line. So he's the end man on the line of scrimmage. Um, so he looks at the e mall, and he sees that he has outside leverage. Um, but but Bell knows that the inside is going to be jammed because there's more guys inside than outside. So what Bell does instead of instead of just just hitting the edge right there, he presses that that uh that B gap right here. So pressing that B gap, which is pressing the line of scrimmage, getting closer to the line of scrimmage, forces number 99 to play it inside. Bell cuts outside. That's really really smart football. Um, knowing again how to set up your blockers. That's that's knowing um how defenders react, how to set up your runs. And because of that, again, he's gaining another five, six, seven yards because of this. So you see average running back just hit the outside right here. Or if you try to hit the inside, put his head down right down, uh, down right there and then get, you know, three, four, five, yes, uh, less yards than Bell. Um, but that's not Bell, and this is why he is an elite playmaker that I, we just talked about with Scott for, for a while. So I'm going to look at some route running um, for Bell, something else I talk about as being a strength. Uh, this play recorded a little bit late. Uh, it's it's it, it didn't record late actually. From what happened is, uh, you try to like kind of go between the the actual coach's film and broadcast because broadcast you get angles like this and and close ups like this where the film it's obviously from farther away so you can't see as much of the player and some of the details. So you just want to look in the broadcast angle as well for some um, of these examples. But this is a route versus Tony Jefferson. So they they saw that it was uh, going to be man coverage. Tony, he, he split out wide. Tony Jefferson's now in man on him, so you're isolating him versus safety. I'm going to take him 9 out of 10 times. Um, this this fourth step right here, which is like that catch step, um, you see you see how he opens up his hips right there. He, he, he pivots off that right foot, allowing his hips to, to go inside. So this, is like, this is why people say the hips don't lie, because Tony Jefferson's froze right here, and, he, and he's froze because Le'Veon Bell is, is, is charging at him and is staring at him. But if you're looking at his hips, you're looking here, where is he going? His hips are inside. He's, he's going inside. Um, his, you can't fight your hips. So he's not going to try to cut inside, cut outside. Then, then you'll be over top of him. Uh, we'll create offensive pass interference or whatever it is. You'll be on top of him. You'll have body contact. But um, that, pit, that pivot right there, opening up his hips, that's, that's good. That's something you like to see. Um, he drops the weight again, allow, allowing himself to cut fast. 
Um, and then something else I see I like with his break too is you see him get out of that break quickly. Where some people like run, they'll run. Uh, like pause this. He'll run like really like they'll run more rounded breaks when you you want to get your eyes and your hips out of routes very fast. Like your hips always, your body fast always. Your eyes don't necessarily want to be out of your break fast depending on the route. So now if you're looking at a slant route where your eyes want to be quick, where it's a quick hitter, you, you hit that you hit that fourth step, third step, whatever in the slant route, you're going to hit the ball right there because that's, that's the window to throw it. Now if you're running like a post where you expect to be open you know, five, six, seven steps after, um, after you break, or that's what the, the play is designed for. Then you don't want to get your eyes out quick. You you want to you want to break your hips out quick and, and not back to the ball. So so basically, you're going to cut on a post. You're going to stare straight at where you're going to keep your momentum going forward. Because when you look back for the ball, you're inevitably going to slow down. It's it's just body mechanics. It's just how it's going to happen. Um, so you're not going to look back for the ball right away. Get your eyes quick out of that break. Now with a slant like this, you're going to get your eyes quick out of that break. So you're expecting the ball um, really quickly. So the pivot, open the hips, drop of the weight, eyes and hips out really, really quickly um, looking for the ball. And like I said, some of the hand position, uh, I don't I don't love it. I would like to see him, again, a little bit more aggressive here with his hands, um, you know, flash his hands out um, more in an overhand catch instead of letting the ball come into him. One, it doesn't even hit his hands. It hits his chest, and then he catches it. So if the defensive back was closer on this, if he punches through underneath his elbow or um, on the other side or here with his right arm, that's most likely not a catch. So I don't love the catch. The route was definitely, um, definitely, definitely good for Bell. Maybe, again, he can get on his toes a little bit more than he did. But if it's designed as a, a, a three- or five-step break, whatever it is, um, you don't want to throw out the timing too much. That depends on what he was told right here. Um, but like I said, good with good with the hips, good with the break, good with the uh, getting out of the break, good with staring at Jefferson the entire time. You see that head whip right here, stare, 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 head whip, eyes out, uh, getting getting back towards the ball. So um, another really good run for for Bell, um, you know, as as a as a route runner. And there's guys, I, literally, I think. For the most part, I, I think there might be only one better route runner on the Jets right now who's actually not even technically on the Jets. And this is just strictly route running. This is strictly technique is probably Jermaine Curse, But he's still uh, – Le'Veon Bell is a very good route runner um, for a running back, and he's probably a solid route runner for, for a receiver, which is just, you know, obviously it's, it's incredible. Now we're going to be looking at some power. Uh, next play, we're on play 10. Probably go to – it's about 158 right now. Probably do another maybe five to ten plays. Um, and then the next week, like I said, we're going to have uh, at least like 40, <laughs> right around 40 plays to do of, of uh, Bell. So um, next week's going to be film centric. It's probably making a good hour, an hour, hour and a half of, of just Bell film like I'm doing right now. Um, but like I said, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the topics here. So here you have like a, it's, like a, it's a lead pin and pull, I, w- I would call it. Um, and Bell, again, let me, let me, uh, Bell does a good job here. One, this is where I talk about like, the short choppy steps right here. You see in his gait, which his gait is his distance between his steps, is not very large, and that allows him to, one, change direction really quickly, drop his weight really quickly, where if you're running with too long of a gait, you're not able to, obviously, because your feet aren't in, are in contact with the ground and with your feet more spread apart than they are close together, you're not on as balanced. Uh, or you're not as balanced as you would be with with a shorter distance between your feet. Uh, so you see that you see as he doesn't know where he necessarily wants to go here. You see the short choppy steps allowing that quick uh, burst and, and change of direction. So as soon as he sees what he wants to do, again in mid step and mid like hop step, he you see him opening that hip with a left foot right there. It's pointing inside and, and trying to turn outside. It's allowing him to cut um, faster inside. Drops his hips, explodes. Um, 
this is, like I said, arm tackles aren't really going to work with him. Even with a, a nose tackle right here, he has to be a nose tackle. Yeah, he's, he's a one tech. He's a freaking massive dude. He looks like he's like 300 and probably 30 pounds. He's short, so he might not be as heavy as like a Mike Pennell, but his body, you can see, he looks like a, he looks like a, you know, just a fat kid at, at school. Um, breaks his tackle. Again, that's good. That's what they call like contact balance, good contact balance, ability to break arm tackles. And at the same time, as he's one, he's cutting. So it's not like he's just in a straight line breaking it. He's still able which is again, I even I don't think I wrote this down, but just looking at it now, the ability the ability to be running a little bit more upright. So he just came from a cut, um, but the ability to still be cutting as a at 300 plus pound easily nose tackle is on his back. Um, his ability to still cut in an opposite direction while that's happening is is extraordinarily impressive. And while that's all happening, he knows that C.J. Mosley is getting off a block right there. And a good, good hand position right there. Stiff arm is a crap at a C.J. Mosley with a defensive tackle, nose tackle on his back. Um, this, this extraordinary contact balance, uh, good, good uh, footwork, good IQ, um, good ability with the short choppy steps, um, you know, altering the gate uh, to be able to cut. And then the power that, that he shows right here to, to one break that tackle, cut the opposite way from 97, and then be able to just stick his hand right in C.J. Mosley's face and uh, just shove him to the ground and gain another couple of yards. And even at the end of this play, it, it, this is where I say he's always fighting for extra yards. He knows he's probably going to go down right here, but he's still throwing CJ, uh, not CJ Weddle, um, um, Eric Weddle into the ground right here. And I, don't, I didn't catch the end of it right here, but he, he stiff arms into the ground. He gets tackled. He gets like, he like rolls over him. Um, but this is a guy that you're going to think twice about. Now, if he's an easy, if he's an easy tackle, CJ Mosley comes up and wrap him up. CJ Mosley never going to think twice about it. But getting the crap stiff arm out of you as a 260 pound linebacker, 250 pound linebacker, 240 pound, whatever he is, still bigger than Bell, um, makes you think twice. And same thing for Weddle. This is not an easy tackle. He probably got the the, the breath knocked out of him right here. So, uh, great, great hand position here by by uh, by Bell. Um, he never grab, grabs the face or anything like that. You maybe that might call hands to the face right there, but it's more about the strength and and the accuracy of his hands right here. Um, and he's not even necessarily like he's looking at him and not looking at him. And that's a, that's a perfect position right there. And you see Bell a lot of times stiff arm the face at the top of the helmet instead of the chest, where which allows him um, a little bit more in terms of ability. Um, to get his hand on quicker where if you're reaching for the chest and if they're at an angrier level coming at you, it's a little bit harder to one, get cleanly on that chest with, with, with uh, two flat surfaces, which is obviously two flat surfaces is the best way to push. Um, where if it's an angle versus flat, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, not as much power generated. And also when you're tackling, your head is going to be closer to closer than, you know, a shoulder or a, a chest. So he always stiff arms the helmet, which I like. And, and if, listen, if you're not accurate with it, then that's bad. You should just go for the chest, the, the bigger um, surface area. But when you're able to have that accuracy, it's a better area to stiff arm. Um, again, that's, that's just it's, – it's, it's truly an amazing play from, from Bell right there. Something else that Bell um, possesses that a lot of running backs don't. And it's something that's, that's rare, and I labeled this as uh, Bell patient on goal line rare. If you can see on the top of the screen right there, it's just something you don't really see. Um, a ton of, and again, you see, you see, obviously what he's looking at here is he sees the entire inside is just jammed up. There's no way he's going to get through here. Maybe he could press through this, um, but he doesn't, he, he's not necessarily able to um, at this point, but he again, presses the line of scrimmage. He drops his weight. And this is like the, the lateral mobility they talk about. You see one, his feet are a little bit too wide apart um, more than you want to, but the, the ability to jump cut out of that and, and stay uh, mobile is impressive right there. You see leg strength. 
Um, and like I said, the, the lateral cuts, which is which is good. So he presses line of scrimmage, jump cuts, presses line of scrimmage again as he's looking for a hole. Now, if he was j- just jump cut and hit this, he's not getting a touchdown. Um, so again, patience. Uh, so we get again press another jump cut and he sees this opening right here as he jump cuts again to the outside and puts his head down, explodes, uh, trucks over a, um, it looks like a defensive back. I think it's, it's a 20. So it's, it's a defensive back right here. Um, but all that happening really, really quickly where a lot of guys and who, who are just average running backs or even really good running backs are just going to freak out right here, put their head down, try to jump over and maybe not get it. Bell presses, jump cut, press, jump cut uh, or hop, whatever you want to call it, and then explode. So, um, again, really impressive. You even see that hand right there. That's, uh, again, um, using his his number 74 to, to, to help his cut. That's, again, something I didn't even really think about. But watching it live and talking about it, um, he has to stop his, his momentum from going forward. So he uses 74 to help him stop his momentum to be able to, again, alter his path um, eventually getting outside and um, exploding forward for a touchdown. That 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 goal run, that goal line patience is rare. It seems like Bell plays the game, and he's playing the game at a different speed than everybody else with his recognition and ability to set up his his runs. All right, we're gonna look at two plays that are a little bit more of uh, oh, I gotta share my screen a little bit uh, more of like quick hitter type of uh, of plays right here. This is just the pass blocking ability. Something I said that is extremely underrated. Uh, he's also he's almost like in terms of like obviously he can't block. You know he can't line up at center and block a nose tackle one on one, but to a certain extent he's almost like a, he's like an extra offensive lineman coming in. He'll, he he can block safeties, he can block um, outside linebackers, he can block middle linebackers uh, with relative ease, and he's always and this isn't like extremely complex. Uh, you could tell as the offensive line line is, is sliding left minus the right tackle, so their gap protection left and slide. Um, the right tackle takes this this email, so his responsibility is that B gap. So he takes his responsibility. So it's not a crazy read or anything like that um, from Bell, but the the ability to to keep your hips square. A lot of like running, a lot of running backs in this position. You see Crowell is going to like open this hip up too much or and try to like push him out of the pocket or kind of just get his hands on him. But Bell is consistently willing to to lower his shoulder. And and truck guys. Now, did they truck him here? No, but you have a safety running full speed at Ben Roth, literally full speed. Um, he's probably that that he has a pretty good burst of safety actually. Um, running full speed, Bell is standing still. Bell shows a strength to just stick his shoulder in there and let Bell uh, let Ben Rossford, who 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 can step into this, maybe not necessarily step into it because he's only a yard away. Um, but he doesn't have to throw the throw that he does, like this little jump pass, little kind of throw. He doesn't have to do that, but it's a slant. Um, so it's it's not like he has to have like amazing accuracy. It's not a freaking comeback. I mean, to generate that accuracy and power, but. Like I said, good ability, good strength, the willingness to block, staying square, lowering his shoulder, uh, really, really good from Bell um, right there. And then the next one we're going to go into, like I said, it's a little bit more of a, of a quick hitter, um, but it's versus a cover to look right here where they, like I said, you can split him out as a receiver. This is, they, they go empty right here with Bell as a number two on the, uh, on the boundary side, and they run a slant flat, which is um, good versus cover two uh, if you're going to get some – uh, just a just a couple of yards, especially if that if that uh, that if that corner carries a little bit inside, or it's actually not a slant flat; it's a uh, curl flat. So the this is more just about power again, um, and the the technique right here with with that with that truck right here. Bell catches the ball uh, again, lowers his weight, drops his hip. The lower man wins. Uh, he's not as low, but what he does right here 
is I wish I, I don't know if I had it from the other view. Yes, I do. Okay. So you can see what he does with right here, this forearm, he's going to step forearm, but he doesn't have necessarily the, the ability to, um, he doesn't get it out quick enough. And the angles kind of like kind of screwy for, for a step arm because he's not like, he's not lateral or in front of him. He's, he's, uh, he's actually a little bit behind, um, where, where Humphreys is, who's actually a really, he's a, Humphreys is actually a really freaking strong cornerback too. So that's something to note in this. He's, he's, he's one of the best tacklers, if not the best tackling cornerback coming out of Bama, like what, two years ago. Um, but what I like about this is you can see how he loads up on that forearm um, and he drops his hips. So he, so he, obviously he's dropping down to absorb that contact. You have, you have better, uh, you have better base, you have better balance, you have more strength when you drop down. But what's good about it too is how he loads up that, that forearm and that arm. So what he's doing when, when he sticks that out into him, that forearm is almost absorbs that shock. You can see how it literally, actually you can see literally how it does. You see how that forearm and, and uh, the defensive backs form, like all the skin comes loose like that and stuff like that. It's because it's absorbing contact. That's, a, that's absorbing the blow. So where if he was just letting Humphreys get into his body, that's probably going to knock him off of his spot. But because he's using that forearm and that arm to deflect that, that power from Humphreys, that's why he's able to um, – you know, explode out of this, like I said, drop his weight, absorb that contact, push him off of him. Uh, and he trucks a guy and listen, like, like I said, um, it only gains him an extra, you know, two yards right here. But you think Humphreys next time he comes in the tackle bell, is not going to be thinking about that. Or if that keeps happening over the game, he's not going to be thinking about that. There's not guys on tapes who are soft who are be looking at that. Like, damn, do I really want to go one-on-one and give all out effort and get trucked over uh, like Humphreys just did? Because like I said, he's one of the toughest and most, uh, he's one of the best tacklers in the NFL in terms of being a corner. Um, I have to really break down that list to say he's like the best or wherever he is. But uh, that's that's damn impressive right there for sure. And that's going to make guys think twice about it. That's why guys respect him. You're not going to want to get in, in, in Bell's face. And the ability to the ability to to cut and make all these dynamic cuts and cut with that uh, with with his with his hips and run the route that he does, um, it, and have this type of power is something that. Um, it's just absurd. You just don't see it. It's extremely rare from, from anybody um, in the NFL. I'm just going to go to the next player right here. I don't, like, and, and one of the reasons I'm pausing too is because like I, I, a lot of times I go into plays with you guys and we'll see how it works out. But I go into plays kind of blind. So like when I'm watching it, I'll, I'll watch it for a second before so I at least have an idea. So I have to watch it play like once fully before um, I explain it to you guys. So another play where he's checking and, re- checking and releasing as another dump, dump off option to Bell. I mean, for, for Roethlisberger, which is something the Jets didn't, like they had last year. Obviously, everybody can be a check down, but a check down who can take it, you know, a yard or two versus a check down who could take it, you know, 10, 20, 25 yards um, is obviously an extreme difference right here. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember this. Okay, so, and again, this is power. This is smarts um, here. So he obviously sees a defensive back dropping low right here. He's, he has he's wide, a uh, wide base, which indicates him dropping his, dropping his weight and, and, uh, trying to explode into his legs. Um, bell, what bell does is you see this little hesitation right here. You see, as he, he goes to hesitate like this, this is, this is when that defender goes in for that tackle because he thinks he's going to go power versus power. What bell does, he, he gives him that little hesitation right here with that, with that stab, which like I said, makes the, uh, the defender drop his weight. Uh, so bell hurdles him. And this is more just this is just more power, just straight up power right here. Um, a lot of guys are gonna get trucked over right here. This is uh, I don't know what this guy's name is. Forty eight. Uh, it looks like some weird Awa uh, Sour, but I don't know what the hell his name is. But he's a linebacker clearly, um, or maybe he's a huge defensive back. I think he's a linebacker. The ability to take on this this hit right here obviously lowers his weight a little bit as he sees this because you can see. 
as soon as he clears this guy, where does his eyes go? His eyes goes to his next threat. As, look, right there. His eyes are already on him, so he knows what's going to happen. You could see he – one has ball, a good ball security here. As he comes down, he puts both hands on the ball, and he drops his shoulder. The ability to take on that hit and not get just rocked um, when he's in the air, doesn't have any contact with the ground as he's coming to take this out. He only has one, one foot contact with the ground. He's still able to not get trucked over. Um, body power. That's just straight up power and ability, like I said, to, to set up that hurdle is something uh, you don't see from a lot of running backs. Next play is a little bit of like, uh, I, I mark this almost, even though it ends up, you'll see as a positive result. I almost marked this as a, um, as a negative as, as well, because I think he's thinking a little bit too much. This is third and one. Um, so in a perfect world, yeah, it's great that he ends up with a touchdown here. Um, but they run, they're, they're running inside. It looks like it's, it's actually almost duo. Yeah. I would say it's more of a duo run. Um, do I want him to take this one yard right here? Maybe five, maybe it is even a touchdown. Probably not, but just take that one yard right there. Most likely. Yes, I do. Um, but Bell tries to get more right here. You can see the footwork right here. Again, drop of the hips. You see that, that foot. Um, in a way that he wants to cut his right foot. You can see his, he, him open up his hips right here, drop his weight, cut a um, little jump cut right here. Uh, he says his angles again, presses, presses again upfield, which makes number 23, which is Tony Jefferson, I believe. Um, react inside. He again then cuts outside, um, presses upfield. That defensive back takes a more aggressive angle upfield, and Bell cuts outside of him, uh, keeps his feet clean. You could see that that arm right there, which actually doesn't help him keep his feet clean. Uh, it, it's just kind of like a precautionary arm, just in case he did get his hands on him, he would be able to kind of chop it away. Um, and a touchdown. So he plays in full speed, like, damn, just take the yard. But you have jump cut, footwork, uh, setting up angles, ability to get outside, and it's a touchdown. It's risky, but it's a touchdown on third and one where he should, should have probably gained a yard or two or three, and he, and he, and he gets a touchdown. A little bit too much of a risk for me there. Um, so I would mark that more of as, as a negative, even though it is a positive. That's something you have to do with film. There are some plays that are bad that end up good and some good plays that end up bad. It's just, it just kind of is what it is. And this play, uh, number Bram next, is actually kind of funny. It's got, I actually like almost laughed at how bad the effort was from one of the defensive backs here, which we'll see in a second. Uh, we're on play 16. We're going to play 20 and save 38 plays for, for next week because this show was jam-packed. We've been talking for... Or I've been talking for over two, almost like it's been a two and a half hour show. So I don't want to kill people with it, but um, we're going to do just a couple more plays. Like I said, um, like I said, Ben checks, uh, not Ben, uh, Bell checks and releases out of the backfield. I like to see maybe a little bit more effort right there, but it's, it's, it's just enough contact to throw number 58 off of his track outside and help uh, his left tackle out. Um, Bell gets the ball. He sees number 56 who he doesn't play it fantastically. Um, well, I like to see him get more outside, and then has it, and then kind of break down more. Um, but he he he. But the linebacker slows down because of Bell's hesitation. You see this little like uh, it's a little just a hesitation. You just he, he you see him do this a lot. This little like uh, hop like hesitation move, um, which slows down number uh, fifty. He's able to run by him, and good uh the the ability to type up right here that balance that he has the the awareness of the sidelines all good things, and this safety which is just finished the freaking play to the whistle man that is who. Who was number 22 on the Steelers? Somebody comment or not on the, on the, on the uh, Bengals. I'm not going to look it up right now. Um, but whoever that is, that, that's a player I do not want on my team. I want to see effort. You know, uh, tap them up. You know, wrap them up, drive them out of bounds. When you're letting guys like Bell just run all over you and not get contact, he's just going to destroy your team. So the, ability, the fact you're not even throwing a shoulder into the sky, this is kind of where it comes from most likely with Bell's the ability to step on the crap. Guys are like, you know, I'm not going to freaking Bell's way. Kind of like, nope. Not, not for me. Like, that's a Cromartie move. 
Um, we've seen Revis do this a couple times at the end of his career. Um, we see some of the soft corners do this. So I, I think, and I could be wrong. Uh, like I said, I haven't looked it up. I, I think 22 is William Jackson, who just got drafted a couple years ago. Um, if so, shame on you. That is a soft play. Um, but good hesitation from Bell. The, like I said, awareness of the sideline, ability to tightrope, keep his balance, and run for a touchdown. He's like, damn, like that's pretty easy 35-yard touchdown if I ever got one. So um, it still is a positive for Bell. But like I said, shame on number 22 there for sure. All right, next one's going to be another – more it's more of the same with the, with the power that Bell shows. This is like appreciation. I don't have to break this down a lot. Um, you can see that the offensive line is like down blocking, wedge blocking right here. Bell bounces it outside. And again, same type of deal right here. Uh, Dre, Kirkpatrick um, gets just absolutely trucked. Again, it's the same play that you saw with, with Humphreys. He's loading up with his shoulders even more exaggerated over his knees because he needs to generate that power um, and get low like a little, you know, like a little wrecking ball. And the same thing with the forearms that I showed before. One, good ball security. He knows he's about to get into a head, head-on collision, so you want to have good ball security. Gets two hands on the ball, which I, which I definitely like. Loads up, drops his hips, drops his weight. And you see him, like, coil that weight through. You see you, – uh, so I, I, I don't know if I can get this, like, perfectly. But you see how he drops that weight and then it explodes through him? You're, you're generating as much power as you can. If you just run into him, you, yeah, you're going to generate some power. Power, But when you, when you know you're going to come to contact and you roll that power through your lower body, up through your hips, in through your shoulders, that's, you're, you're creating like a battering ram right here. It explodes through this, which is why. Now, if he didn't do that, he just ran into him. Maybe he wraps him up and gets lucky and tackles him. Um, but that's not the case because Bell explodes through that. And again, with the forearms, acting as that shock absorber. You see how he... He actually, right here, he hires his forearms to absorb that contact. So he's not just putting his forearms there and then using just his shoulder. He puts his forearms out as well to absorb some of that contact, um, which takes it away from his body and his legs, which would lead to a tackle. And your arms your arms can absorb all contact all day. Um, so that's why you use them like that. And you can see him push off as well right there, uh, steps over him, and then, he, again, even puts his shoulder down into this, into this other defender. He doesn't just go down easily. So I'm just going to play this. Play the full 20 seconds, and this let you appreciate it if you are watching um, on, on, on film, which you should be watching on YouTube. If you're not, if you're just listening, that's great. Uh, but I don't see how you understand a lot of the things that I'm talking about unless you're like, you know, a, a, like a real film guy as well. Um, and and this, with this view, you can actually see a little bit more of the forearms right here. You see I talked about where he hires those forearms right there. He's, he's absorbing the, the, that contact. Uh, with with those forms and, and pushing off of those forms as well right there so uh really really nice play from bill and any anytime you see a running back truck somebody over like that it's just you know it, it's a fun play to watch and uh he's he's not he's an all-around back like i said power the ability to catch the the route running picking up blitzes uh dynamic cutting ability reading holes it's just it, it is pretty incredible all right we're going to do the last three plays uh right in a row right here so um this next play that I said, it's, it's more of that power. Um, and this is another one that's, that's an incredible uh, play from, from Bell. Um, and this is just more lower body power um, from him. Another inside zone run right here. Um, almost actually maybe more even of a, of a belly zone um, from, from Bell. And one, he's breaking the one-arm tackle, which is – that's not a huge, like, a huge cut right there, but that cut is allowing him to get away from some of that contact. Where if he's a run more straight, he's going to absorb more contact, and, and which gives him um, you know, less ability to – or less chance to be able to break those tackles. So he gets away from – which I believe is Mike Daniels' arm tackle – 
the thing that's freaking crazy about this play is, listen, I don't know exactly how much uh, 47 weighs. I would say by looking at his body, maybe somewhere around 235, 240. So he's probably like a light linebacker that they have, maybe a safety they drop down, down into the box. But I think he actually is a, a linebacker that just says number 47 for the Packers, if I'm not mistaken. But the fact that he breaks an arm tackle is already a little bit higher than he usually is, and his feet are pretty close together. The fact that he – look at the linebacker here. He's literally dragging a 200 and I'll, let's just say 40 pound man by his knees. So he, he gains another two, um, let's, let's say six yards by quite literally all of his weight of that linebacker's weight is pulling him to the ground. And Bell is able to literally dragging him by his knees for more yards. Um, and he's, he's even taking on that hit while he's not fully balanced because he already broke another arm tackle. So he's, he doesn't have full power going into this. Um, truly, it's, it's incredible. Um, and some people like are going to say, okay, well, you know, it doesn't have the elite, the elite breakaway speed. Do you see this the elite breakaway speed maybe once a, like obviously you see it a couple times a game, but when do you like you see those like 50, 60 yard runs maybe once every other game from a running back or whoever it may be, whether even with Chris Johnson, who maybe had a little bit more than some others, or he did have more than some others, he's gonna probably gonna come to the Hall of Fame uh, or close to it. And uh, would you rather have that, like that one or two plays, or would you rather have just consistent plays of this power? Because if you add that speed, he's not gonna have this much power. Um, and I, 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 it's it's something I would take over over that uh, that speed ability because he he's not he's slow in the open field he's just not super super fast he, he has like average more of an average speed um, so we have an inside zone split with that uh, with that like orbiter um, with that like the end around with the fake end around right there to uh, just it's just it's just eye candy it's just some distraction but Bell takes the takes the handoff he's reading the the play side the the uh, play side on the inside zone split he doesn't like what he sees now maybe he could cut up into that into that backside b gap but he still doesn't like it because even if he did want to cut that backside b gap he's gonna have to like really really press hard outside here on a flatter angle then try to cut outside but or cut up through that gap which is not really it, it probably wouldn't work out uh, realistically with how everybody's moving now like people look at the, the gap here oh yeah it's open but is it going to be open by the time he gets over here, then cuts through? Most likely not. So it isn't like what he sees from this. He knows that inside zone or the, the, the split blocker, the sifter, the sifter who's working opposite um, is blocking that backside. Um, he, he sees that the sifter is going to take going to pick him up. So Bell, again, um, a few things. You, with, that, with that foot now, you guys are probably starting to notice if you're watching with me how he opens that hip, and that's, that's, that's a good thing that a lot of players do not do. Um, but you can see him fully open his hips right there. It allows him to cut outside. Um, and this juke is <laughs> – that's, uh, that's something that, – that, that's nasty. Uh, I think it's Hawk Hawk Clinton Dix before he got be, – uh, well, not before he got traded. He was on the Packers this entire season because this is 2017 film. Oh, this is all 2017 film, by the way. I didn't, I didn't go through multiple years of film looking for the best plays from Bell. This is all one season. I didn't even watch all the games from this season. I think I watched like 10 of the whatever games he was in. Um, but again, cuts outside with that with that open of the hips, the drop of the weight, gets outside. He stabs really, obviously, really, really hard out out here, and and just destroys number twenty one. And what allows him to cut so hard upfield is one, the drop of the hips. Look, I gotta pause it. Look at how low he is right here. Look at his look at his leg. It's literally almost parallel with the ground right there. Ankle flexibility. His ankle looks like it's broken, but it's not. It's just ankle flexibility, lower body flexibility, uh, lower body strength knowing when to drop his hips and, and uh, the stab outside. There's multiple strengths I talk about multiple times you'll see on this. The, the hard head fake, you see the head fake right there because Clinton Dick's eyes could be high right here. I think they most likely are because he falls for the head fake badly. 
And something else that allows Bell, um, he doesn't do it as much as he usually does right here. Actually, yeah, he does it. So when I talk about that back, the, the feet opening up and all this stuff, like I said, it looks like his ankle is broken. What allows him to stop his momentum, this is stop, start quickness, something else I mentioned. And this, is, this is why you know, like when I talk about this stuff, I'm not just making up and pulling crap out of my ass. Like, oh, well, you know, this scout guy said this strength and I'm just going to put it down because he put it down. Everything that I mentioned, I'm going to show him an example of it for the most part. Um, and I'll explain it to you. And this is another one. See how he, drag, how he drags that foot? You see the dirt come up right there? Obviously, if your momentum's going this way, you drag your foot just like a brake on a car or whatever you want to call it, it's going to slow you down. So that, so that back drag foot is allowing him to cut faster upfield. Uh, amazing footwork, amazing play. Um, one more play before we close this, this bad boy out until we have 38 plays, um, you know, in a couple of days, because like I said, uh, today is what March. Uh, oh, actually uh, happy March. But within the next 10 days after this show, I'm going to do a levy on bell, another levy on bell show to close it out. And I'm going to do a free agency preview where I'm going to talk about, a lot of free agents, whether it be from guys like Golden Tate to Dante Moncrief to, to Matt Paradis to whoever. We're going to talk about them a little bit. I'm not going to have film on all those guys because I'd, I'd be a, a full-blown psychopath to do all that film, and including the draft film I'm already doing. Um, I'm going to do more film on guys after they sign him, uh, sign them, but I still have a general idea of, uh, idea of guys. I think I at least know what I'm looking at when I'm watching games um, when they're playing. I don't get as, as much information as I do when I do a film breakdown because I really, really watch everything. Um, but still, so this, it's, it's a pin and pull action on the, on the, on the front side right here. Um, it comes home like, uh, actually it's, it's, it's almost like a sweep as well. You call it pin and pull, you call it a sweep. Um, again, so this is the patience, uh, patience making guys miss in a phone booth. Um, he can see that number is that Clay Matthews? I don't know. No, 53. It's not Clay Matthews. Uh, 53 has outside uh, the outside. So Bell is again, patient. He's staying upright. He's hopping. He's slowing down his momentum. So with these hops, he's slowing down his momentum and he's also staying light on his feet. When you're light on your feet, you're able to cut quicker. Um, do you want your feet necessarily leaving, leaving the ground because you're not able to cut on a dime? Not necessarily. Um, but this is what he's doing here. Like I said, staying light. Um, and the ability to make guys miss in a phone booth. This is a, this is a, not the tightest area you're ever going to see watching film. Um, but this is still a relatively tight area. And what does Bell do? He squares up with his, with the, with a guy drops those hips again, opens that, opens that back, um, opens that, that, that foot to explode, um, shows the lower body strength to cut through, gives the really hard head. You can see a head fake is like, is vile. It almost looks like he has whiplash right here. Um, which continues to lie back around the outside track. He makes him like dive at him, completely misses. He might, he might have got a, a just a hand on his thigh right here. At this point, just getting a hand on the thigh that just shows a, an incredible ability to juke the lower body power, the footwork, um, and everything right there. So, um, like I said, next week we're going to be talking more Bell. This was a, a pretty long show. I'm talking about Bell, but he's a big free agent. And I think after listening to this, if you have any really strong arguments about Bell, honestly, comment on the YouTube uh, below and we can discuss it a little bit. Um, and as, as I've said before, um, this obviously takes a lot of work to break down this film and to record all this stuff. It just, just go onto the podcast. That even if you watch on YouTube, which I know a lot of people watch on YouTube, just, just are, are a decent amount or you know, a solid chunk. There's a lot of people who listen as well, but if, if you are just watching on YouTube, just go to the podcast app. If you have it on your phone already, you listen like Joe Rogan or whatever you listen to, just, just search the, the, the uh, podcast, throw us a five star. If you have time to throw us a, a review, 
uh, what you'd like about the show, even what we can improve on, but hopefully still with a good rating. Uh, I'll, I'll seriously take those things into consideration and I appreciate it more than you guys know. Um, it raises up uh, us up the charts. More listeners mean more chances for small, small uh, sponsorships, which means money, which means better film, maybe more times a week. It can lead to a ton of things, a um, ton of upgrades for you guys as well. So if you could do that, I'd appreciate it. Um, and we will be back um, next week or actually within the cu- next couple of days um, talking more Levy on Bell before we get into the free agency preview. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And make sure you do go follow Scott Mason as well. He's a really good dude, and he, uh, he does some excellent work. If you want to listen to player interviews, uh, things from beat reports, into that type of stuff. Uh, so, so he's definitely a good follow. So go follow him, and thank you to him for, uh, for joining us. And we'll see you guys in a, in a couple of, of days.